Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. From the padded cells of Smith's Grove Sanitarium to the leafy streets of Haddonfield, Illinois, we are Halloweenies. One fight calls us another one. One life touches another one. One fight causes another one. One heart loses another one. Give me, give up, breathe in, breathe out, just give up. Give in, give up, breathe in, breathe out, just give up. Just give up. Happy Halloween, trick or treaters, dreamers, campers, suspects, and deadites. Michael Myers Rothman here, and uh, I'm still in Haddonfield, just uh, strolling around the block down 45 Lampkin Lane, although that's the address of the Myers house. I guess I don't really know too many of the street names. What can I say? You know, I got to do my homework a little bit more, right? I guess four hours on the original one wasn't enough. Anyway, we are talking about, you guessed it, the Halloween franchise, because uh, guess what time it is? Well, it's Monday, October 10th by my count, but that means we're about four days away from the epic conclusion of David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy, uh, Halloween Ends. So we're going to be celebrating with some content. We got our Halloween Ends episode that's going to be dropping this Friday, right when it drops on Peacock, the way God intended. And uh, to drum up the hype, we wanted to unlock another episode. I know last week we unlocked the commentary track, which I'm sure all of you enjoyed, and I'm sure you enjoyed hearing us talk all over your favorite scenes, you know, like Linda and Bob making out, like Annie getting stuck in the laundry room. Like my favorite scene when uh, Dr. Loomis is uh, just kind of wandering around uh, the street and just stumbles into the Myers house. No, just joking. Um, all those scenes you heard us talk over, and you can still hear us talk all over it uh, in the main feed. So just go back last week and get it. But today, we got another treat. No trick for you. Uh, so last year, we ranked all of the Halloween scores with our buddy Jay Blake Fichera, who you might know. And we know as the author of Score to Death and Score to Death 2, uh, which, look, if we're talking scores and specifically horror movie scores, there is no substitute. J. Blake Fichera, which I'm probably fucking up his name. He's going to kill me for it. But either way, he is the authority on this subject. And we had to get him on. So he came on. He, he joined us in Haddonfield last year. And we ranked every one of the Halloween scores up until this point. Now, I know you're going to probably think, wait a second, you didn't get Halloween ends that comes out this year. Yeah, look, we didn't get Halloween ends because this was recorded in 2021. But maybe, who knows, maybe maybe Jay will come back and we'll <laughs> talk about Halloween ends in, a, in an updated ranking. For the meantime, we got this definitive ranking of everything else in the Halloween franchise, not including Halloween ends. So enjoy this. Uh, and, and if you really enjoy um, all of Jay's thoughts, definitely pick up. Score to Death and Score to Death 2. I mean, dozens upon dozens of interviews. Carpenter, Alan Howarth, Christopher Young. The list goes on. Uh, anyway, and if you also enjoy episodes like this, well, this was exclusive to our Patreon, The Rewind, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash Pod. We have so many episodes in there. Three-hour, four-hour rentals in there. I mean, from Manhunter, I was just listening to Monster Squad. My man, Wolfman Mac 
was hosting that great episode there. And we also have so many more commentary tracks and occasionally we have some one-offs like this, but uh, anyway, all candy for your ears. So get it there. In the meantime, grab some candy corn right now, a nice pair of headphones and enjoy the cozy and creepy sounds of the Halloween franchise. Keep creepy folks. Greetings, trick-or-treaters, and welcome to yet another installment of Halloweenies. I am one of your hosts today. I'm just going to keep it real, Dan Dracula Caffrey. <laughs> and uh, it is it is October still. It has been a Halloween blowout month. I feel like we have those, I don't know, tall inflatable guys that use car sales lots, but maybe with a pumpkin head in front, just saying, extra, extra, here, 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 come get all your Halloween deals, because we've just been delivering you Haddonfield-related content for, um, gosh, three three weeks now. We still have another week left, but I think this is... This is the last correct one. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the last one, though, right? Yeah. Last... I'm kind of sad about that. That's sad. I'm all, a little bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Who? You know, let's just let's just do it. Who who are we? Who am I hearing on the other end of the horn there? Oh well, uh, this is Michael Myers uh, Rothman, and uh, I got to say, I, I share that bittersweet feeling with you, Caffrey. I'm I'm really bummed out to be leaving Haddonfield. I, although I wasn't crazy about Halloween Kills, as everyone heard in the four hour discussion we had, I still really love talking about this franchise, and I got a little whimsical, uh, or not wistful, wistful, not whimsical. Yeah, Uh, I got wistful today, and just like gathered up all my like stuff that I could think of that's all Halloween one related. And like took a photo, uh, just shared on socials, and it was just I don't know, just got really in a mood. And I just I love love being able to talk about this franchise whenever we can, and it's literally why we started this podcast. So it it it, it does feel nice to be here in, in Haddonfield still. So yeah, it's been really really fun, regardless of how anyone felt about Halloween Kills, and the the opinions are very very varied, like even more so than I think Halloween. I mean, and not just among us, but I think among social media, amongst fans, and it's been yeah, it has been very very fun to talk about. And I feel like I've really gotten into the Halloween spirit this year did horror nights. Uh, we went to Sleepy Hollow. I know you all did, or some of you did the music box of horror. So it, it feels like we went really hard this October in the best way possible. But yeah, and so well, you're not the only one. Obviously, we have two other uh, esteemed panelists today to talk about the scores of the Halloween movies. But before we talk about the actual scores, who else is in Chicago? And he, he's also a musician himself. So let's say he maybe knows what he's talking about a little bit when it comes to music. Oh, this is Wolfman uh, Beltrami Gerber. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, I, I, I just want to echo that I am very sad that we're coming up on the last week. But, you know, I don't want to dwell on that because we have a whole nother week of uh, Halloween goodness uh, coming up. And I'm, I am very excited about that, even though the weather here in Chicago is Awful right now. Crazy. Yeah. Wait, awful like like hot. It's kind of hot here. Which no, it's just like. been raining for like a week. And it's going to be raining throughout this next weekend too, I think. So hopefully it'll clear up a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm spooky, excited. Spooky though. The rain is spooky. It looks like it, Halloween it 6 is a little outside. Spooky. <laughs> it really does. That's, yeah. I, that's, that's the only way I can get into it. I'm just going to put Halloween 6 on, mm. uh, on repeat. Yeah. And just, you know, just look out my window longingly. Is <laughs> Halloween 6 is the rainiest... Of I don't know Rob, Rob Zombie's Halloween Two is pretty rainy too. I'm trying Whoa. to think what, what's the rain. We should do that. What's the rainy? What's the, the rain? Yeah, that's that next year. rainy yeah. rankings. We can talk about that. Yeah, we'll do a whole another episode on it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know, this probably Halloween Six probably is because not only is it does it rain in the beginning of that movie, it also rains blood later on. Oh, that's <laughs> when, true. Oh, and the little girl confuses it for rain too. 
Yeah, that's that's, that's a right. good point. Uh, right, well, we right. have another uh, musically minded aficionado on the uh, podcast with us, a returning guest too, who we had on our prom night episode. There was no way we weren't going to get him to come back, especially when we're ranking the scores of the Halloween films. Who do I have? Who is our final guest? I'm uh, Jay Blake Fischera. No nickname. <laughs> no nickname. No nickname. <laughs> I guess Love Max it. stole the Bert. I'm a respectable I, I, author. I can't be. That's true. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah, well, tell us. I mean, you know, longtime listeners will know, but uh, once again, why don't you talk a little bit about those uh, the two wonderful books you've written? Uh, well, like I said, my name is Jay Blake Fischera, and I'm the author of two books about horror film music: "Score to Death," conversations with some of horror's greatest composers, and "Score to Death 2, more conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. And uh, they are books of interviews with some of the greatest composers uh, working in horror today and, uh, you know, in the past. And so the first book, uh, we covered everything from all the major franchises, including the Halloween series with uh, interviews with John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. And the new book is uh, slightly more skewed towards more recent stuff, but we also have the Evil Dead films with Joel LaDuca and all that stuff. So... That's what I do. Awesome. So you can give us some firsthand accounts then uh, with some of these composers we're going to be talking about today. Um, before we jump into the ranking rankings, um, which just to give listeners an idea of how we're going to do it, we're each going to share our individual rankings once we've all collectively chosen one. So for instance, if um, you know, once once we're at like number three and we've all gotten Halloween Resurrection, just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll then talk about, we'll like stop and actually talk about the score and the composer and analyze it and all that stuff. But before we get into that, I just wanted to get everyone's general, I guess, consensus of the score, the Halloween scores throughout the entire franchise. Obviously we talk a lot about John Carpenter having the iconic theme and everything, but for you all, I, for me, I feel like there's only a couple that I flat out, I'm not crazy about, and then the rest are all, you know, ranging from solid to excellent. But um, yeah, how 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 what it, what's just like a consensus of your general rankings? I'd love to hear uh, from everyone. Uh, Mac, why don't you go first? You know, it's a strange franchise because it, a lot of it's just reprises, <laughs> reprises. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some films obviously that deviate, but it's kind of they don't stray too far. Unless it's a film like Halloween three that literally has nothing to do with the the series, um, but I think that also kind of saves it in a sense because it's easy to please people. I think you know all you have to hear is that main theme or yeah. or some kind of variation of of one of the one of the many themes on the first uh, score, but uh, it's not quite like. You know, well, I guess you could say it's like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, <laughs> those are all kind of samey, at least, at least, uh, Friday the 13th, but, uh, I love all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to fuck up the Halloween, the main Halloween theme. Uh, you, I mean, that melody, well, I, 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 we'll see. <laughs> well, I, I remember when I, I, li- I used to live next to this Catholic school in Chicago and I was just working at home one night. And they were having a school dance around Halloween and they played like a techno remix of the Halloween theme and I could hear it. And it still scared me, even though it was just like, dang, 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 dang. you know, I was just like, Ugh. so yeah. But uh, Mike, what about you? What's your, I guess, kind of uh, big picture take on the scores across the Halloween franchise? Well, it's strange because I mean, I mean, we had talked multiple times in this podcast, so I, I find the Halloween franchise to be comforting in a weird way. I just love the aesthetic of it all. I mean, a lot of that comes into just the fact that the holiday itself is just such a, um, you know, getting your blanket wrapped up with a, you know, some warm drink and look out the window and see all the lights and yada, yada, yada. 
And I feel like the franchise really, you know, kind of capitalized on that notion, especially John Carpenter's original scores. Like I, when I talked to him a few years ago, I, I made the mistake of saying that I find a lot of his music comforting. And he was like, oh, that's great. That's just what I wanted is to <laughs> feel comfortable with my music. And I was like, well, I mean, to be fair, like, I think that a lot of the tracks that aren't the Halloween theme are the ones that I always gravitate towards, you know, like Laurie's theme and the Myers house. And those are like tracks that they're almost embalming for me. Like they're hypnotic in a way that I just find myself lulled into this calm sort of state of mind. And it's telling that so many of these sequels, um, especially beyond the Carpenter ones, during their Carpenter involvement, stray away from those themes that I love. You know, and some tend to go back to it, mostly the Alan Howarth ones that we'll talk about. But it's that it's those almost like side, you know, the lesser tracks, the deep cuts, really, that keep me really tuned in with like a lot of the Halloween rhythms and stuff, which is why I was so stoked when Carpenter came back. So, and look, I'll digress on a lot of it as we go forward. Yeah. But that's kind of where I'm, my head's at always with the Halloween franchise. Yeah, because it's not just about the Halloween theme, right? It's, it's, um, you know, the Myers house, haunted yeah. house. Every, yeah. Laurie's theme. There, there are, which I think have become kind of minor classics in themselves, right? Like they would be the B side mm-hmm. if, uh, if it was going to come out as a single. Uh, and what about you, Blake? What's your just overall big picture view of the Halloween score, Halloween's scores? Well, I, you know, I just kind of echo what uh, the other guys have said. Um, but for me, it's like the ones I tend to like less are the ones that stray too far. Um, you know, I, I think, like you were saying, I mean, I think it's most horror music fans or horror fans or just casual fans, you know, we all know the Halloween theme, but I think the beauty of that score is that Carpenter really did write a handful of really great themes. And uh, I, what I find interesting about all the scores, you know, kind of together is to see how other people have kind of tackled Carpenter's ultra-simplified, kind of like repetitive scores and kind of made them their own. Uh, there's a, In the books, especially in the first one, there's a lot of talk about simplicity and repetition and how that works in horror. And everybody brings up Jaws and Halloween and things like that. So it, it, they're very, those kinds of things are very important to horror in a lot of ways. Uh, but what I find most interesting about listening to all the other scores is seeing how every other composer and every other film kind of takes those general ideas and either changes them, makes them sound different for this movie, or what they kind of do outside of those, but staying within the same language that Carpenter originally created. So for me, I find them really fascinating. And, you know, I've listened to them you know, in different ways. I've written liner notes for some of the releases for some of these records. And so I've become very familiar over the years with most of these scores. Uh, but listening to it for this was kind of interesting to like really just go through them and listen to them one at a time, back to back, so you can really A and B them and really see what the differences are. So I kind of like them as a series, even though there is a kind of a, there is definitely a repetitious thing going on. Definitely. Um, well, that seems like a, as good a time as any to get into these actual rankings. And um, I actually didn't know about that, about the liner notes. So obviously when we get to some, um, if you want to, if you want to talk about that, uh, I'm not, if, if you're like, oh, I did the, uh, the Waxworks liner notes for 
Halloween five. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, feel free. Yeah, feel free to elaborate on that. Oh, and Mike, I'm just I'm noticing is that yeah, Haddonfield High uh, jacket you got on. Yeah, I got my uh, and I also Huskers. have a, you know a little silver shamrock uh, thing. Yeah, the ones from Fright Rags and yeah, the pins from Creepy Co. Um, ah man, both of which I, haven't sponsored this episode, but you know, hey, uh, free plug. <laughs> right? We can dream. <laughs> I've uh, we had some friends in town last night and. Um, that morning, me and Susan, I had my jean jacket on and Susan was like, oh, what what horror pins do you need still for this? I'm like, well, I need a Jason one because I don't have a hockey mask. And our friend had randomly bought me one. And he, he hadn't like, yeah. I thought he had texted Susan to ask her. And that's why she was asking me, but it was just super random. So yeah, I, I finally completed my little Jason Voorhees. And uh, I know I said we get into ranking, but really quick, in Sleepy Hollow, the high school, their mascot is the Headless Horseman, which I, I thought was super cool. That is like, cool. I, yeah. oh, I know. Wow. It's on we, theme and on brand, so it makes sense. But I like um, that. I like that they're like, no, we're Sleepy Hollow. Of course, we're, we're going to be the Horseman. We are the Royal Knights, which is and sometimes there is a horse involved. but uh, That'll be yeah. changed at some point, you know, when people... Is too violent. Get upset about the violent of the yeah. violent nature of the headless horseman. That'll be like the mosquito or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> mosquito. I mean, they may, it may just be the horseman, but they have. But the ma- the mascot is clearly a you know a horseman. With, it's with it's no a, the, the mascot's the horseman, but he's turning around and he, he's <laughs> with a finger to his lips. And he has a pumpkin. In his hand. <laughs> so they won't we'll go won't go whole hog with it. Um, <laughs> Anyway, that's enough preamble for me. As you know, we all always tend to go on tangents on this show. Let's get right into the rankings, um, and we'll just round robin this. And once again, once we uh, once we land on on a, a something we've all picked already, then we'll go we'll elaborate on it. Uh, so, Blake, what is your what's the bottom of the pile for you? What is your no? Least we got we got to we got to start with uh, we got to start with you, Dan, because that's how oh, we do. Okay. this. Yeah, we got to go. Okay. Dan, Mac, Mike, Blake. So Blake okay, so it's going in the. Last. All right, so Blake, don't be offended. We're saving the best for last now. Uh, <laughs> before we were much like the Halloween series, we were going to ruin it by having the best first, and uh, now we're course correcting. <laughs> so for me, and and so just correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. So I. I'm not don't elaborating talk about at all. No, no, just no, tell us what it is. Just tell us what it is. <laughs> right. We don't elaborate until we all have said one of the titles. All yeah. right. So mine for me. Oh, and I guess I, I guess I actually should pull up like the you know the name of the people who did this because they're the ones responsible. No, you don't um, right? have to do again, that. You just say yeah. the title. Just, just say the title? Okay. Yeah. I feel like we got... All right, because I guess we will talk about it. We're going to get into it. We'll get into it. name it. My lowest... So confusing. I know. I know. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm complicating this. My least favorite of the Halloween scores, which I will get into in a bit, is Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. All right, that's mine. Uh, Mac, what about you? Mine is also... Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Great minds. Mike? Mine is Halloween Resurrection. And finally, Blake? Uh, Halloween 2, 2009. I have to admit, when we submitted these, I thought we were all going to have the same last one, but that's clearly not the case, so we're going to keep going. All right, so my my next... And and for me, well, I'll I'll save it. I'm I'm so excited to talk about these. I know you will. You'll get to it. My next, uh, my next favorite, or should I say, least favorite score is Halloween Resurrection. Mac, what about you? Mine is Halloween Two, uh, zombie style. Mm. I liked how you you didn't say zombie first because then it's like a little bit of suspense. They're like, oh my god, he picked Halloween Two from <laughs> Halloween from Carpenter and Haworth. Uh, all right, uh, and Mike, what's yours? Well, to leave everyone hanging, uh, also uh, Halloween. 2007 so um. (laughs) (laughs) and blake halloween 2007 all right Mm -mm. 
my next uh, least favorite or favorite, however you want to say it, the score. The tenth. Yeah. It feels yeah. like they, weirdly, it feels like there are more than twelve of these films at this point. Well, technically, um, if you go through the side tracks and you know, like the yeah, you know, Halloween Six producers cut and some other ones in there, but uh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. So my uh, my next uh, least favorite is Halloween two thousand seven. Whoa. Mac, what about you? Mine is Halloween. You fuckhead. <laughs> oh, whoa. We, we don't even have to say the year. We know what that means. We, and that we is know a what ding, it means. A ding, ding, a ding, ding. The first one we get to talk about. Uh, so Halloween 2007 was uh, scored by Tyler Bates, who, who has, has done a lot of stuff in the genre. And then obviously, I think John Carpenter gets credited technically on all the films, right? Because if they mm-hmm. use his theme, they they have to. Um yeah, all right. So who let's see. Let's let's go with who who has this the lowest first. Uh Mike and Blake, you both had this scored the uh the lowest of the four of us. So why why do you why to you is this a, a big old crap fest? Or do you think it's actually okay and you just had to pick something? I defer to you, Blake, first. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's a crap fest. I mean, I, it's fine. It's just there's a um in ranking these things, I had to kind of decide. When you think about film music, there's a couple of ways to go about it. There's mm-hmm. how well they work within the film, which is usually how I weigh most kinds of things like this with film music. But there's also like how good is it to listen to uh, on its own. And then, like I said, there was like how far does it deviate from Carpenter's original ideas, which I also factored in. This one kept a lot of the same stuff, but I, it's just a really ugly sound that I just don't really like listening to. Yeah. sound for an ugly movie yeah what about you mike that's kind of piggybacking on like i just said abrasive it's just so abrasive like and it's very similar to the movie itself you know but i also think it's so emblematic of its era i think there are a lot of horror movies around this time where i think they a lot of the composers misconstrued you know terror and tension for just kind of bludgeoning you almost with noise and you know it works in quantities i feel like and i i think with this score because I actually tried to re-listening to it, and I was kind of laughing while re-listening to it. Because I was like, "Jesus!" Like Waxworth went through this whole rigmarole and re- reissuing it and making these like amazing reissues. Um, and it's just like I can't imagine just sitting there, like I'm in my like in, in my apartment, and being like, "You know, I got to put on Tyler Bates' 2007 Halloween and just sit there like, like being like battered around like by the noise and the the the, the sort of." This is a lot of distortion and a lot of like bass, and I just—it's just too much for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I agree with you in that. I agree. Well, first of all, with Blake, in terms of like, does it serve the movie? Sure. It's a Rob Zombie film. I think it fits that film, but it is kind of just this like cavalcade of noise, and I, I don't. I don't know. I just want, I want more of a score than just kind of like a sound wall essentially. And that's what it kind of feels like for most of the scored bits. Now I will say the, the waxworks record releases, I think that those were, which is surprising to me, but I guess not really are the ones that actually have like the music, like the, like Alice Cooper and, and the songs featured from the album. And is that, am I right on that? And then and with, oh, and like then love the, the bits and, are like, yeah. And then there's like bits of dialogue. Oh yeah, they did no, that you for are. Halloween too as well. And like those might actually be fun to have, just because you have bits of the dialogue <laughs> all the way through those records. Yeah, you're and, right. Uh, that, I, I that's just think true. that'd be funny. Because there's, I mean, that's actually the soundtrack is pretty fucking great. Because I love Love Hurts, and I actually like the scene it's in. 
you know, Don't Fear the Reaper. I mean, that's, but, that, but again, the, that's a different type of score. I think we I are. Wayne, I think technically, we, it's not we, the score, right? That's we the, married uh, ourselves the to really more so the score. And yeah, so this was just, it was just low for me. I, I, you know, the back half of this was really tough because these are not movies I've lived with and rewatched a billion times. So it was really hard to kind of, even when revisiting them, I'm like, I don't even know what's going on right now. Look at the score. Yeah. Uh, I, had to, I had to kind of do this a few times, but uh, yeah, this just kind of fell down there for me. For it, me, it was, yeah, my number 10. It was tough for me because I think I had this one at 10 also. it's it's. I know technically we're talking about the score, not the soundtrack, which is different, but it is tough with the zombie movies because I actually think he's really good at choosing soundtracks, not oh, just totally. on the list, but the Devil's yeah. Rejects. I was in a bar the other night and I heard... I heard uh, Midnight Rider on and I mean the first thing I think about is that opening, opening scene of the Devil's Rejects and that was funny I walked outside in the bar and they were playing the Wallflowers so it was this weird transition from yeah. uh, then you thought um, you were in like the King of Staten Island with uh, Pete Davidson and and so it's funny because I feel like yeah I do remember those soundtrack moments a lot more you know which is why I probably rank this ab- above like resurrection five even though it's a different thing and i mean it's reiterating what you all said too when it comes to the actual score itself and this is my issue with the rob zombies first halloween film is that it feels like such a caught between two aesthetics thing right it feels caught between okay he is doing halloween pretty much which actually feels weird because it's dressed up in his you know fuck muffin burrito you know piss blood just everything that comes with that movie and that's kind of the score is like it's he's not really doing much to alter the actual melodies, but it it's, comes to those weird bass drones and everything, which I don't know. I mean, Carpenter makes his own score more muscular in some of the later movies that he scored, but it works for some reason. But with zombies, yeah, it just feels like a mishmash of, of two different things that I'm I'm not a huge fan of. So I don't I don't think any of us are fighting to the death to have this one higher or <laughs> anything like that. So yeah, but hey, we have uh, we have better music to get to, so let's keep on keeping on. Um, so my next uh, least favorite. No, no, slash- no. Now we got to go to the next. It was like the next one that we have for for ten. Oh, that's right, because we didn't finish. I'm sorry, everyone. No, this is all no. in a handy dandy spreadsheet, and I'm just fucking it up. All right. So, <laughs> okay, so uh, Mike, what was your uh, next least favorite score then? That would be Halloween two, two thousand nine. So you know. keeping it in the zombie. Keeping it zombie. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, and Blake, what about you? Uh, I went with number ten was Halloween Resurrection for me. All right, so we're still we're still in uh, in different strokes mode here. My next then, so I guess this would be what ten, nine, eight. This is my my seventh favorite score, right? No, wait, no, your ninth what? favorite. My ninth favorite no, score ninth. is <laughs> Halloween Six: The Curse of Michael Myers theatrical cut. We just chose to stay with that because of all the the butchery that happens with the producer's cut. All right, so what about Mac? What is your next? least favorite my ninth is halloween resurrection and i'm unmuting to hear the siren outside instead of saying a ding 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 because now we can talk about (laughs) halloween resurrection call the cops this score sucks no i'm just kidding um i I actually (laughs) i i i don't well i don't know i don't i don't think the score is the the big problem with this movie Um, but yeah yeah. (laughs) um but yeah, uh, Blake, what what are your thoughts on Halloween Resurrection? Uh, well, the reason why there were films that uh, kind of ranked lower for me was at least this one is a pleasant listen. I mean, it's definitely, <laughs> it's the one that veers the furthest away from what we think of as the Halloween sound. There is one track 
on like the soundtrack that is called The Ceremony, which sounds the most Carpenter-esque out of all uh-huh. the songs there, but or tracks there. But uh, the reason why I racked it so low was just because it just doesn't feel like Halloween to me. But as like a classical horror score, you know, for that, like from Scream to, you know, 2002, this fits in those just fine. It just doesn't feel like Halloween to me. Yeah, it's funny because uh, we'll talk about another score <laughs> later on that um, has a lot to do with the Scream soundtrack. But I think we're still in that kind of era, right? That dimension era of mm-hmm. doing these sort of sweeping orchestrations, which feels really strange for this movie because it's not a classy movie at all. I don't know, we should say, too, this is well, Danny Lux who did the score. I don't think worked mm-hmm. on any other Halloween movies. No, um, no, no. Not many yeah. feature films either But because uh, he's more TV. Um, yeah. Well, Mike, you, you know. had this dead last, right? For for yeah, you. So well, why, why surprise, is this surprise. why is this worse than than uh, I mean, so many other movies you could have picked for this? Uh, I mean, I, I I mean, it's the most vocal in terms of me hating this movie. I, I mean, Halloween Resurrection is one of my least favorite films of all time, if not my least favorite film of all time. Um, I, I, I just I hate it so much. And of all your, I mean, it's least favorite Halloween, definitely, but le- of all time. I mean, man, it's I'm just trying. it well, it just infuriates me because it's just it's such a transparent cash grab and it's such a fuck you to everyone that actually likes the franchise. I don't have to get into deep job. We have four hours of Halloween resurrection <laughs> in the past. We don't need to go on that. But I will say the thing that, 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 you know, speaks to this sort of garish nature is the fact that like, it's just a hired gun. Like Danny Lux was, you know, he'd been doing like a bunch of, you know, TV work, which look, I'm sure he's great. He did stuff with like, you know, Dawson's Creek and, you know, he's done mm-hmm, stuff with, mm-hmm. you know, Boston legal and, um, you know, NYPD blue, which is fucking great. But like, you know, this is an era, at least in hindsight, especially with mo- mainstream slashes, where they just weren't like you know prioritizing a lot of the composers. I feel like, and like this is a subtle example. It's like, hey, uh, let's get that Danny Lux guy. Hey, hey, he comes in, home, we'll just rework some of the songs. I, that's what it feels like to me. I, this is what kind of comes uh, off as. I feel Mac, like you? he is a bit of a gun for hire, but in the same sense that, like Mike said, I, I it is a listen. I can I listened to it oh, yeah. and I got through yeah. the whole. It wasn't a chore to listen to. It was interesting to me because as I was listening to it disconnected from watching the movie, I started thinking, well, now a lot of this music in this movie, and maybe I'm giving them more credit than they deserve, but it is the kind of music you would have on those shitty reality, like scare shows. (laughs) So it kind of fits. It almost, it serves the movie in a way that, you know, we might not like it, but it does serve the movie in that sense. Unfortunately, when they abandon that idea, that music sticks around, you know. Uh, so I, I can't give them too much credit on that front. But, uh, yeah, I was just listening to I was walking around the street and I think I posted my story. I was like, like, can you guess what I'm listening to right now? And it was something one of the early tracks. It was like, you know, about Laurie. Uh, in the, faci- in the oh, facility God. or whatever yeah, the hell. I can't remember what it was called, really but I was bad. like dying laughing uh, just walking down the street. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess also I, there are parts of that score, even though not very good, that I kind of remembered. Like like when I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, this is what's going on in this mm-hmm. scene. And that's where <laughs> you pictured that's the why scene I happening. ranked it. That's why I ranked it at nine is because I was just like, yeah, I got to get it. But uh, yeah, so that's number nine for me. Yeah, I will say, I mean, I had this, I think, second to last. I mean, and honestly, mainly because I, I couldn't recall much of the synergy between the, you know, the, what's going on on screen and what's going on in our ears. But I think you are right, Mac. Like the form do, is, does meet the function well for this, this score. It's not, and once again, I don't, 
I don't think the big issue with Halloween Resurrection is the score. I think it's the movie. And I, I wonder too, I don't know. I wonder if the movie would be improved at all if they just used the original John Carpenter score. Probably not. That would probably be worse because you would you had this great thing mashed up against a not so great thing. Um, yeah, it's funny to think about with with some of these movies. Well, it just it's so lazy. Like the thing that that a reason why I also put it is like last <laughs> is that like he doesn't even try to really do anything. I mean, like there is that one track that Blake mentioned that 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 does actually feel a little bit like Carpenter, but. When you the one thing I will say with Tyler Bates is that at least he's trying to do something different, you know. Like I mean, there's there certainly tracks where Tyler Bates is obviously going right back into like the Carpenter things just because you kind of have to. But you know, as much as I don't like the abrasion of a lot of his his tones, it's something different that he tried. Whereas like Danny Lux, like I just feel like you know, forgetting Sarah Marshall when you know, the main character like goes in and is doing like the um you know main character jason siegel um is going yeah, in I was, and he's, I was thinking yeah, that was like, funny i don't know why you know, the, the random character. guy um but uh jason siegel's going in and he's scoring a lot of the temp tracks for the crime show and it just kind of seems like a day you know day in day out thing like that's what it feels like with this it was just like all right well i'm gonna do what i usually do and just kind of slap it on so it, Eh, it just kind of feels lazy to me. Like no, I'm, gonna, then, I'm gonna defend Danny Lux a little bit. Matt. Oh shit! Did you interview oh, Danny Lux? For the no, book? I didn't. But you know, you have to keep in mind that he's hired to do a job, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he delivered what they were looking for, what he was asked to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be fair, also, I don't even know if Rick Rosenthal really know what he was going for with this movie. So, I mean, it's he's, he is under the direction of that. So, I mean, I gotta give him some. Credit. I will. I will say the track I was listening to is called "Patient History." Oh, that's when. Yeah, that's track probably three. Track three. How long is this soundtrack? I mean, it's twenty-four if, tracks on this, albeit some are only a minute long. So, if Danny Lux named the score or that that track "Patient History." I mean, that sounds like he's putting more thought into that than was put into Halloween Resurrection as a film. So That's I got it. Yeah. Well, some are some are some are pretty blatant. Like the next track's "Lori Fakes Disorder." <laughs> like, <laughs> like, these were like stand-in titles uh, that to be uh, fair, just didn't change. The, pa- I guarantee you, patient history is referring to the scene where the patient's literally listing out Lori's history, or Michael Myers' history, and stuff. Like, oh yeah, that has oh, to be no, a scene. You know, I, I was for real thinking of patient as an adjective. <laughs> like not like like I, the, the history has patience. Like well, that's really cool. giving him more credit than yeah. Yeah. Good job, Danny. <laughs> Danny's yeah, somewhere I, sitting out there being like, as because Danny's you know clearly a patron, and uh, he's like, oh, you know, this is the, it got some people in my corner. This is good. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think Blake does bring up a good point. I mean, I can't in a weird way. Can't I can't imagine him, yeah. him doing I mean, a better he, job. You know, you know what I mean on on, on this. So. Yeah, no offense to Danny. He was he was saddled. With, he had to, he was tasked with polishing a turd, and yeah, I don't think any amount of polish. Pitching it to him, they probably they were like, "Now, what if what if uh, what if we you did a Halloween score, but it was done by Dangertainment?" <laughs> I also don't know when he was brought on. I mean, they could have rejected a couple of synth- like synthetic scores, and That's Danny true. could have had like six days to put this thing together. You never. That's know. a good point. Yeah. Now, Danny, that- if you are listening and you're a Patreon member, <laughs> as we established earlier, and you have some early concept uh, stuff for this that never got out there it's definitely send it our way we'll reevaluate it's like uh it's halloween resurrection ellipses naked like the let it oh, be Lord. thing but just, right. uh, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. no he uh um and, and i will say too i mean reading those taking shape books it does sound like halloween resurrection was originally supposed to be way way cooler um and more thought out than it was but I mean, you know it's always easy to say that after the fact 
All right, let's, uh, we have a lot of other movies to get through, so let's uh, keep on keeping. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On uh, next, Mike, what is your uh, your was this? Well, I'm, eighth, I'm, your eighth favorite score. My eighth favorite. Nine. No, my ninth favorite. Yes, my ninth, favorite. ninth. He's still on nine. My, I'm still on nine, and uh, I'm hungry for cookies. For cookies from a cookie woman and uh, Halloween Five: Revenge of Michael Myers. Yeah, there we go. Okay, that's still so funny to me. Yeah. I, it, it just gets funnier every time I watch that. Uh, Blake, what about you? Uh, number nine is Halloween H2O. One years later, and we there's gonna be a lot to talk about with that one, but it is not time yet, unfortunately. But what it is time to talk about is Halloween 2 2009, of course. Uh, once again, Tyler Bates returning to the helm of the uh, of the conductor's chair with uh, Rob Zombie in the director's seat. Now, this one, this is interesting because I was trying to remember how much we actually hear the Halloween theme in this. I don't think it's a lot. Does anyone, Mac, did you rewatch these along with the, uh, the rankings? Certainly didn't rewatch them, (laughs) but I definitely listened to (laughs) listen to these. I honestly, for Halloween too, I'm a hundred percent sure. Cause they really, and I think this is something that Dan and I appreciated when we talked about in the episodes that they really, took a swing with this movie and tried, tried to do something really out there and very different. different. So I, I don't personally remember the theme a lot, like being abused. Yeah. Um, I but, almost uh, feel like it's, it's mainly at the end credits. Cause we get, I mean, we're only, it's really that hospital scene that really keeps it in the same universe as that, the first film. And then it's just off doing its, its own thing. Uh, well, Blake, why did, cause you had this dead last. So why was this one um, the lowest of the low for you? Uh, this was dead last for me because it there was uh, like Halloween Resurrection. It veers furthest from Carpenter's score, but it's also unpleasant to listen to. Uh, I should say that some of these movies I haven't seen since I saw them in the theater, and uh, oh, yeah. I actually uh, over the weekend I I went to watch Rob Zombie's Halloween Two because what happened this year with everybody ranking their Halloween movies on social media and Twitter. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, people fucking love Halloween too. Yeah. <laughs> really it's do. getting that, it's getting that underappreciated classic, uh, and, uh, destination uh, yeah. right now. I was like, I don't know, maybe I should watch it. So I, I watched like the first 20 minutes and I was like, you know what? I'm not in the mood <laughs> for this today. Um, but what I can say is within those 20 minutes, I, I don't think there's any John Carpenter esque cues. So, uh, I would be surprised if it does do a whole lot of calling back, to uh, Carpenter's music within the film itself. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why I like the movie better too. And look, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, actually this movie's a classic. I don't think that at all. However, I do think, I do think it, maybe it's because of all the timeline shuffling that's gone on since then. I do think I really appreciate its originality and the fact that it's like actually original. It's not doing the, oh, we're doing our own thing, but we're also paying homage to the fans. Like, no, Rob Zombie for better, for worse. I mean, he's doing Rob Zombie in, in this, in this film. And I actually, it's, I actually weirdly think it handles the idea of PTSD better than the new films. I'm not saying it makes a better movie and the score does reflect. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of drones. It's like, it's just like kind of aggressive 
orchestrations. And it, even though I kind of like this movie, I agree. It's not a very pleasant movie to, to watch. And not, the no. score does, does match that. But yeah. Mike, what, what about you? You had this at, uh, at what, um, da, 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 da. nine, I think nine for, uh, you, yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, no, actually I had a 10, but the thing I, I think is interesting. It's that it's, it's a little more cerebral and I feel like a little more inventive than yeah. the kind of crushing tones of what he was doing in 2007. But I also feel like kind of feels like a really, really rough prelude to what Carpenter does when he comes back to, you know, how, you know, Haddonfield, uh, so to speak, with uh, 2018's Halloween. Like it, it, there are yeah. a lot of muscular atmospheres in this that I feel like Carpenter does, you know, a much better job of uh, once he comes back. And so in that respect, like, I think it's, I think there's some interesting breadcrumbs, you know, especially to how this score elevates the presence of Michael Myers in the same way that, you know, Carpenter, I think really nails, uh, in 2018 and, you know, obviously even Halloween kills too. But, um, so for that, I give it a little more, you know, some kudos again, like these latter, this bottom section is pretty it's splitting hairs a little bit with some of this stuff but yeah yeah no definitely well I, I do like what you said about announcing finding a new way to announce the presence of michael myers i mean and once again very polarizing but when he emerges from the forest and he's in that kind of mountain man getup, it's the mm-hmm. first time i think we've seen him proper in the movie because you know the hospital sequence is a, a dream sequence it you know you have that kind of swell that brooding swell and you almost expect it to be the halloween theme because it's the first time we're see- really seeing michael um but yeah, I do like that Bates goes for something else there. It is funny how I feel like a consistent narrative across all these scores is that when people try to be more muscular, it's like it's captivating, but doesn't quite work unless it's Carpenter. I, I wonder why that is because I, you know, some of the later scores we'll get to. If I'm talking about like, oh, the you know the electric guitar is cheesy here, I'm like, why isn't it cheesy when Carpenter does it? And um, I don't know. I just think that speaks, you know, indefinable traits of composers. But uh, Mac, anything else you want to say about uh, Halloween Two? 2009 not a lot but track one on halloween two's uh waxworth soundtrack is uh he's fucking dead <laughs> and i thought that was pretty great uh no i yeah same it, this is the my second to last just uh, for all the reasons y'all have said already I don't, I don't have anything to say i and once again i know it's not part of the score i i really love the use of knights and white satin in the beginning and once again i that's, love that song i remember that more about about this film musically than anything else um and I, th- I think too because it's used so creepily when she you see it in her bed and it's on it's like that old grainy black and white footage and then you see it when that security guard uh i forget the actor's name the guy from office space gets killed he's watching as well and it is it is one of those things for being a polarizing didn't like it at first, but kind of like it now Halloween sequel. When I hear nights in white satin, I, th- I think of that. And I think of the Sopranos uh, trailer for the season two finale um, <laughs> where they mm. play that song and that's it. So yeah. All right. Let's uh, unless anyone has anything else to say about Halloween two 2009 Tyler Bates, we will keep on going. All right. We're going to have a little bit of a, a stretch here. Mac, what is your next choice? All right. So this is my number eight. And we're going, I'm a little thirsty. I'm going to H2O (laughs) Halloween. (laughs) All right. But hey, you know, you're going there. It is not time to drink the water yet from the well. Mike, what is your number eight? Uh, Well, I'm uh, keeping things cursed. uh, As in uh, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Or I should say just Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Um, So that's my uh, my number eight. Blake, I'm really intrigued by this next choice. (laughs) Well, I I mean, I think this is where... We're going to see that uh, my taste uh, 
differ drastically from probably the majority of people. I'm going to go with uh, my number eight is Halloween 2, 1981. And not 2009, 1981. So, but it's not time. it may not be time for a while to talk about that one, but we'll see. And I'm, I'm interested to hear what Blake has to say about it. All right. My next uh, number seven, uh, Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. Um, but we will be returning to talking about that later. Mac, what is your number seven? My number seven, Hello Green Kills. <laughs> oh, in theaters and on a peacock. Nice little yeah, fake out. Hey, I've seen it in both. It's great on both. Uh, Mike, what is it? What's your number seven? Well, uh, pass me that bottle, Mac, because uh, I need some H2O. <laughs> uh, you can't drink it yet. Got to wait your turn. Wait just a little bit. Uh, Blake, what is your number seven choice? My number seven is Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. Still will not return to it just yet, but I will tell you what we can do now is we can drink that water because my number six is Halloween H2O, 20 years later. I know I'm kind of going out of order for who talks about it based on ranking, but who had who had H2O the lowest? I think it was... It's like it was Blake, I think. Yeah, Blake, Why? What? this clocked in, I think, at number uh, nine for you. Uh, why is it number nine? Because I don't even know if we can really call it a score. I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, well, I mean, do you want to give us some background on that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, John Odman, who's a very talented uh, composer and editor and all kinds of other things, but... Uh, and I like and I like the score. To be honest with you, I his kind of theatrical orchestration of the theme is one of my favorite versions of the theme. Yeah. Period. So, uh, I I like the score, but the problem is, I guess through post production, it turned out that uh, the powers that be weren't crazy about a lot of his score, and so they just kind of started to insert Marco Baltrami's cues from various movies. And so you get a uh, kind of a mishmash uh, of different composers and different scores. Um, Ottman released it, his version of that score, as an album. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's called like Portrait of Terror or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but, I don't know why that's my Portrait of Terror. <laughs> something to that effect. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's why it's kind of so low uh, and why it's not super low i mean i really what really holds it up for me is his his version of the theme like really and he yeah. and his there's other cues where he kind of brings some of that stuff back but uh it's just that's also because of the orchestral nature of it it's just doesn't feel quite as halloweeny to me yeah it's definitely a little bit of out of an outlier regardless of how you feel about the score and the movie um mac what are your thoughts about halloween h2o and uh the whole you know otman versus uh how do you say uh, I mean, marco's last name Beltrami. Beltrami. Yeah. Beltrami. Yeah. What, what, what do you think, it, Mac? It's a hodgepodge. And yeah, it, I just feel like when you're listening to it, if it does, it does feel like that. Like you are listening to like selections from other horror movies. That's not Halloween. Um, and that in when re-listening to it, walking around, I thought somehow I accidentally like hit something on my phone and it hopped to a different soundtrack, you know? And uh, it's, it's 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 the whole you know we're trying to, everything needs to sound like scream soundtrack now you know and like that I think that works for that movie I do not think it works for every single horror movie coming out at that in that era you know like I'm, I'm looking at the poster which is very scream esque too as well yeah the but, facial um, placement they did that with resurrection as well it was, it was, I, I even thought it, even as a kid I remember thinking that was weird I'm like wait is this like a scream parody when when that came out yeah I, I yeah it's just lackluster for me. 
And Mike, what about you? Because you, I don't mind the score, and I think we have similar feelings. But yeah, you, you share first. Yeah, I agree. I think this is of his time. You know, I think that everyone was kind of bringing these sort of lush scores to the horror flicks, and even those outside of Marco Beltrami. And I think that, you know, it stays on theme and on brand with that. But I feel like Ottman kind of kind of skews a little way from it, which is why I wish that it used they the, the you know the film used more of the scores. Like I bought Portrait of Terror when it came out. Like I was so excited for it because I really do love that orchestral theme. Like I feel like now when you're at home and you've seen it on AMC, you know, you you hear it all the time, you're like, yeah, I'm all in on it. But when I saw the sneak preview for that movie and that finally kicked in, I mean, the crowd just went fucking nuts. Like people were going absolutely ape shit when that happened. And and it's so good. It's so anthemic and it's so it just captures that feeling of the franchise is back in a different way. You know, like I it's hard to explain because, you know, now we have so many reboots and so many, re, you know, remakes and yada, yada, yada. But like in 98, seeing Jamie Lee Curtis come back to the Halloween franchise was actually a big deal. <laughs> it really it was. wasn't it in was. 2018 because in 2018, we, it's like kind of like, oh, well, we did this already. Uh, so I guess we're remaking H2O. Uh, but so, but in 1998, it was a big deal. And so that the score for me connected with that sort of feeling. And I like a lot of the flourishes in here. I think it gets a little too precious sometimes um, in a way that I don't think works well for the movie. But then again, I think the movie kind of gets, a, a, you know, a little too um, dramatic. But again, it's of its time. So it works for me. So Yeah, I have similar feelings. And I agree just on principle. I don't love the mashup aspect of it, you know, especially because I do like that Ottman score so much. But I do think it weirdly holds together. And because it is in that dimension scream, late 90s, early 2000s aesthetic, which by this point has almost become like a 70s aesthetic, right? Like it really does, whether or not you like those movies, it really does feel like its own thing. And I'm with you. I wish we heard more of Ottman's score because I love in the beginning where I think it's when Michael pulls out of the house after he's killed Marion, um, not not in Halloween Kills, but, but you know, in uh, in Halloween H two O, where he pulls out and they do the dun 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 dun, dun but it's like on an oboe rather than on you know piano or synthesizer. And I love the sweeping flourishes we hear when we're going through all the evidence and everything. And I and I don't know, it, it was the first movie I saw in the Halloween, uh, the uh, first Halloween movie I saw in theaters, and I think because my love for H2O has just grown so much, especially in the past few years. It's, it's hard for me to divorce all those things. Yeah. So if anything, for me, I'm similarly, I would like to hear more of, uh, more of Ottman. And Hey, I know that I don't know whether this was Beltrami or Ottman who was responsible for this. I do love where Janet Lee drives away and we hear that little piece of the psycho theme. Um, Mm-hmm. I wonder, Bernard, does Bernard Herman get like credit for that or anything? I don't know. He should he be credited for the? For no, I'm sure score? he got really pissed off. Uh, you know, know. Uh, wherever because it, it pulled him because it pulled him out of the movie when he was watching <laughs> yeah, it in the afterlife. Yeah. yeah. No, I like I like, but I don't know. To me, that's like an, an homage. That's it's like just enough, you know. And they don't. They, it's like the only one they really do. And hey, you get a return to Mister Sandman, even though it's yeah, technically not part of the. Well, score. and it doesn't really make any sense either because you know, yeah. we we talked about this um, in one of the episodes recently. We were just like, how did the hell do they have this sound cue that she's aware of? like it takes place in the credits so um oh that's a good point because she yeah because she, she hears turns on the radio and, and then she she's hears like, it and gets like scared about it <laughs> yeah. real quick. so just made the argument that it's like that's what's playing in the you know the ambulance but let's be real like they don't <laughs> but, play but fucking music in the ambulance it's not <laughs> playing in the there's no music being played in the ambulance <laughs> i'm gonna make a case for this though because i don't think was i no i was i had to have been on the h2 episode I, I just look at it as a weird psychological cue for her, you know, because we, we hear it first thing, we hear it in the opening of Halloween. 
So maybe it's just a different way that she's hearing that song. And that because I always still get to mean, oh, Miss, Mr. Sandman is Michael Myers, right? Maybe she's it's a popular song from the fifties or sixties. She's just hearing it in a different kind of way that scares her. Now I don't know. I don't, that doesn't bother me. I think it's like, <laughs> I mean, an, you're right. That's, I mean, there's no other explanation. <laughs> you got to make up something, right? I, th- I think there's a, I think, I think we're getting a glimpse in, into her internal world when, um, when Jamie Lee Curtis hears in that movie, but you know me, I'm always, I'm always going to stretch to defend some of these <laughs> Halloween sequels. All right, let's uh, keep on keeping on. Mac, what was your uh, number six choice? My number six choice is Halloween six, appropriately, or six six six. If you're Mike going Myers. off the original title. All right, and uh, Mike, what what is your number six for the score? Uh, Halloween kills. Halloween kills. But Halloween will have to Halloween kills will have to remain in the shadows for a little while longer. Um, Blake, what is your? I'm not as good at the puns as some of you guys are. Uh, Blake, what is your number six choice? Uh, number six is Halloween Five: The Revenge of Michael Myers. Ding, ding, ding! It is. Whoa. It is time. Honestly, we're talking about this way later than I thought we would talk about it. Um, Blake, why don't you kick us off? This, the, I, I think, this is kind of a high ranking for this one. So, what, what, what do you love about it? Well. Uh, you know, I one I don't dislike the movie as much as most people, though I would never argue it's good. I'm with you on that. I'm, I, I'm I, I don't I don't, I wouldn't argue it's good either, but I do think it's better than. I think it there's... has a lot of. I think it, there's a lot of stuff in it that I like a lot, and I think uh, uh, is great. And uh, one of those things is I like Howarth's score, uh, and I did write the liner notes for Halloween Five for Death Waltz Mondo. Oh, amazing! Oh, I did wow. not know that. That's that so cool. cool. And I've interviewed Alan for hours and hours and hours about his life, his career, and uh, between the books and my and Score to Death podcast uh, about uh, his his work on the Halloween series. And I think you know, had I not done that and not talked to Alan so extensively about his work and stuff, maybe I wouldn't like the score as much as I do. Um, but for me, it's it's really like Alan stepping away from Carpenter's shadow even more than he did with four. Uh, he's a very much a gearhead, And uh, in that way, I think never gets as much credit as he deserves in Carpenter's eighties output. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause when we think of our, uh, if we think of Carpenter, Carpenter music, we don't necessarily think of, at least I don't of, you know, Halloween and, uh, Assault of Precinct Thirteens in terms of sound. Well, to me, when we think of when I think of the sound of John Carpenter's music, I think of his '80s stuff, and all that was done at Alan's house on Alan's equipment. It was Alan that gave him the palette to be able to paint with for all those scores. And mm. uh, without that, we don't know what John's music uh, would have sounded like. And I think. Between four and five, Alan ends up adding a lot of uh, fresh equipment to his arsenal of uh, synthesizers and stuff. And all of a sudden, he has the ability to sample things for, you know, more than one second, you know. And he uses the theme in a way in this film, um, I don't know, almost as a weapon. Because he, he, what he does is he, he programs, like, the whole theme on one key. And he ends up being able to kind of assault the listener while they're watching the movie with it. And he also does a lot of things with overdubbing 
uh, pianos, which adds a very chaotic aspect to the score that I've come to appreciate. And uh, so those are some of the reasons why uh, this is, isn't one of my least favorite of the Halloween scores. That is a really good point, which I for real have never thought about with how Earth actually maybe being more responsible for the direction Carpenter went in. Yeah, because when we think Carpenter, even his solo stuff right now, it's all the synthy you know, throwback retro, which is different from that first Halloween. I mean, the first Halloween theme, the original one, has the synth drones under it a little bit, but it's more classical piano sounding, right? Than than what we would eventually get from that's a that that's a that's an excellent uh, uh point. I have to ask before we go on to the others, did he at all? Because I actually, I mean, this is probably why I ranked it low, but maybe this wasn't his doing, or maybe he didn't even compose <laughs> it. Did he do the like the goofy cop music and everything? And uh, yeah, what did he talk <laughs> about that? Or? I I'm I'm sad to say that he did. Oh, uh, no. I don't feel so bad. No, but yeah. in his defense, as he explained to me, uh, everybody heard it and nobody said to take it out. Hey, that's a hey. You can't argue with that. Right? Was he was, was he instructed by uh, Dominique? What's the director's name? Dominique. I always get his his name wrong. Um, more so, Dominique Gerard. Or, or, Gerard. What, yeah. did, was he instructed? Was was that instructed? Like, hey, I need some funny cop music, or was that more like, yeah, oh, this is fun. I'm gonna put this here because why not? No, I think he just he took us. He swung. He swung for the fences on something very strange, <laughs> a strange choice, and nobody called him on it. There's also stuff in the opening theme where there's stuff um, in the opening where you would assume were was sound design and uh, sound effects and stuff, and we get to see Alan in that vein too, because probably even more than composing his work on film is probably primarily as uh, sound effects and uh, sound design. Like he created the sounds of the enterprise for the first six star Star Trek movies. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. And that was his first gig was Star Trek, uh, the motion picture. So, uh, and he was a sound designer on Army of Darkness. He worked on sound for Poltergeist and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, you know, he explains, you know, a lot of those like slashing whipping sounds was uh, was just a large ruler that he had. So cool in his house, and he recorded them and he put laid them into the into the uh, synthesizer and samples, and that's where we get a lot of that stuff. So I just think it's a really cool like experimental score, and I. I guess because I know Alan and uh, I like Alan a lot, and uh, and on top of interviewing over this stuff, I've spent a lot of time with Alan when I'm out in LA, and so I just I don't know, I just like it. That's cool. I love that. Well, yeah, because there, I mean, th- there are some really cool sound. I mean, even the you know, I'm guessing the carving of the pumpkin, and then some of the uh, some of those evil sounding effects that we hear in Michael's Awakening. Um, I'm guessing are you know music cues, not just sound effects. So that's that's super cool. I got to say, I'm getting some insight into the Halloween Five score that I did not have before, and is making me appreciate it more. But Mike, why did you rank this where you ranked it? And is Blake changing your mind about it? No, I mean it's pretty much where I was at. I think just mentally in the sense that like I, I looked at. I feel like he's kind of upgrading, you know, a lot of the stuff that he was doing with four. I feel like he's kind of doing what Carpenter had to do with Halloween two for Halloween one, right? Like it kind of feels like he's giving his synths a little more menace. He's kind of playing around with it a little bit more. Um, you know, as as Blake mentioned, you, you know, clearly was getting a little more experimental. And so I, I do feel like almost maybe psychologically or spiritually, maybe he felt like this was supposed to be like kind of like his Halloween two to his Halloween one, which was Halloween four in a way, because it's, you know, him solo in that respect. But, um, you know, it doesn't always work. I think it's very confusing, especially in the movie when you have like, you know, the Halloween two stingers that come back for no reason. It just kind of feels like 
it kind of feels like scotch tape in a way. But then again, I mean, you look at the production of the movie and the movie itself is a lot like that, you know, like they're kind of putting shit together and, and, you know, it's a very ramshackled production as evidenced by its execution and just this weird stuff that's in that movie. Like, I, I think we forget how, I mean, I don't think we forget. I, the joke that Justin always talks about is how like every season, you know, rolls around. He's like, ah, maybe I, you know, Halloween five, I was wrong about this. And then he watches it and you're like, Oh no, nope, I was right. This is a fucking batshit crazy movie. But I feel like we always forget how insane and batshit it really is. I mean, like this movie pivots and jags, you know, zags left and right, like so many times. And I feel like the score is just kind of, you know, it mirrors that in a way, you know, and for that, you know, I, but I do think there's stuff here and I do think there's enough there for me to get by where it's, it's, it kind of coasts in the middle for me. Yeah, I was gonna say because you actually did not have this rant. You had this at what number nine, I think. So not, not I mean, toward the bottom, but not very, very bottom. Um, no, it was at six for me. So uh, is it no, six no, for that, you? no, no, this is uh, no, this is at nine. This is that is nine I, for I you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Mac and I both had this at dead last. Uh, Mac, wh- <laughs> why was it bed- dead last for you? You know, for all most of the reasons that Mike was mentioning, but also Blake said that they uses the theme as a as a weapon, and they took me to the hospital after I saw this. I I went. I was I was dying. I think it's like used a bit Wait, too really? much in the Wait, film. I thought you like actually went to the hospital. After no, this. I was, I'm like, just <laughs> saying it was used as a weapon. Get it? Uh, ultimately, no, I agree, though. I, I think that, it, however, I will say, having heard all of that and, and, and heard the thoughts, I, I, I'm actually going to watch it tonight. <laughs> I actually had it on my, on my uh, queued up to watch tonight. I've been watching them all out of order. So I'm actually really interested in listening to it again and really looking at it from that perspective. But uh yeah, because I like Howard's stuff for the most part, and usually, and I, I do think of that when when he was working with Carpenter, that you know, like they're they're pulling those sounds, but you know, he's the one doing all that stuff. Like you said, like he was a gearhead, right? And I think that that it's that's pretty instrumental with that stuff, and I think that's what speaks to some of the the reasons why some of these scores coming up are are in my top five. Mac, I, I think you were the one who showed me the Big Trouble in Little China video, right? Where Howarth and Carpenter are rocking out at home. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take credit, but it was probably Justin. Yeah, I can't remember. Who, I love <laughs> but that. man, I, I, I love that. That video is so zany. No, same here. Just thinking <laughs> about the the gearhead nature of it. For real, in retrospect, because I'm just thinking about why I ranked things the way I did. Because I had this at dead last, and it was because the cop music and because of the the weird music that's playing when um when Tina and Oh my God, Samantha is that the the devil girl's name who gets killed with the in the farm? Uh, yeah, mm. so. yeah, it is. When they're it when is. they're talking yeah. outside of the kids' hostel, Michael's in the background. There's that really strange kind of sleazy teen music playing, which are both moments that take me out of the movie. And I, I feel like outside that, I actually like the score. And I, I feel like if they just cut they cut those cues, maybe I would like it more. I will say in retrospect, I mean, a it's because hearing Blake speak so eloquently about it, but also when it, when I'm trying to think about the howling scores I can remember, right? Like I put resurrection above this, but I can't really remember anything from resurrection, especially well. And there are a few moments in five that I actually do remember really fondly. The, the one that really sticks out for me is when um, Rachel has been killed, which I think is a great sequence. I It's so weird with five. I, I can never say I hate five because there are sequences that still scare the hell out of me. And one of them is being mm-hmm. Rachel getting stalked. Well, it's so real. Um, it, like, it's so, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and even... I know there's some goofiness in the movie, but even the end, I think the end of the house with Jamie and the laundry shoot. I mean, the, I mean, the movie does weirdly stay consistently scary while also being consistently goofy, but the music cue I'm thinking about is when 
Tina comes to look for Rachel and she's dead, of course. And she lays down in the bed and you hear just a really faint, just, just snippet of the Halloween theme, just played solo on piano with no synths or anything. It's just, and I, I think that is such a strong moment because like you were saying, Blake, that is a moment of him using it like a weapon. Like he's deploying it right there to make Tina feel uneasy and kind of sad and maybe weirdly sense that something happened to Rachel. And so maybe in retrospect, I would rank this higher if just for that, because there's not a moment in resurrection or the zombie films. That's, that's like that for me, but Hey, we got to stick with the spreadsheet and we got to stick by our rankings. Right. Um, cool. That was a, Hey, where, what other podcasts are you going to get this kind of discussion about the Howling <laughs> five score? I'm being for real. Except maybe, maybe Blake. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, actually, Blake, got the podcast. I was going to say Blake, 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 Blake's podcast and, and his two books actually. So, um, um, but outside of Blake, where, where else are you going to get this kind of discussion? All right. So let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's keep on moving on. We got a lot more to talk about. Uh, okay. Going back to the spreadsheet here. Uh, okay. We're on me. My number five score is Halloween three season of the witch, which it's not see it's not the season to talk about season of the witch just yet. Uh, Mac, what is your number five? My number five is Hallow Green. <laughs> do you do, do you do Hallow Green with the W or not? I, I do it both ways, and I'm not oh, sure. Hallow Green. Oh, oh, I meant like like H A L L O W G or H A L L O G. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh no, oh, I, I cut out that dub. Cut the W out. <laughs> Eric, I cut out and put it with the R. Hello, oh, you lose the W because uh, the movie's at a loss. So, um, Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's pretty clever, though. That's <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad. I, you know, I got my moments. Uh, um, Mike, what was your uh, number fifth, uh, number five choice? Uh, the Return of Michael Myers. It's of course number uh, the fourth Halloween film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Blake, what is your number uh, five? Number five for me is uh, Halloween Six. Ding, 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 ding. We've got a winner. Let's talk about it. So who had this one ranked the lowest? Was this, uh, was this, uh, was me? I, I had yeah. Halloween six pretty low. I think. Yeah. Down here. You think? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like, I, it's, I, I, for real, I feel like once in my list, once I'm on Halloween six, I like pretty much everything from there above, you know, even zombies Halloween two. I mean, it's Halloween zombies Halloween two is ugly and maybe not nice to listen to on its own, but I do feel like it matches the movie and then everything else I really love. Um, for me, I don't know. Halloween six is tough for me because I I love that movie. Like we all, a lot of us on this podcast do, I think because of all the confusion with the producer's cut and the regular cut, I, I, a lot of times like forget what was made for and what's in the movie. And I don't know. I am. We, I talked before about how I, I prefer the Halloween muscle, the musical muscle when it's Carpenter doing it, when it's Carpenter ranking up the guitars and everything. And I feel like I want to like the electric guitar more in this movie. And sometimes I do. I feel like depending on when I watch it, I really love like the butt rocky kind of guitar added into the Halloween theme. And then other times I don't. So it just depends on what day of the week you catch me on. But at least I still like this score a lot, but that's why it, it loses some points for me. And then I think I just, in my memory, you know, and, and back and forth. Mike, what were you going to say about it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you in that. I, I think it's a bold swing in the sense that, you know, he's trying something different. But my problem is just the sixth string. It's the same problem I have with Carpenter in this era. Is just like, it, it just comes off as so 
this is going to sound so mean and, and probably ageist, but like it just comes off as like, you know, veteran rockers that are like, all right, we're going to still fucking kick it to 11. And like, I, <laughs> I just, I hate it. Like, I, 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 like, I don't like the in the mouth of madness score. I don't like, uh, the, the especially oh, the way come on. I just don't, I just yeah, don't. I do I like it. So, I like in the mouth of madness. <laughs> it just comes off as so, um, yeah. like the minute I hear it, I'm like, how am I supposed to take this seriously? I think that Howarth does a better job with it here. I'm just only because I think, what you're talking about, Caffrey, about like the muscle. I think the the Michael Myers in Halloween Six is scary in a way that he hasn't been since Halloween Two. At least if we're looking at this timeline wise, when you when you get to the curse of Michael Myers, he's so brutal and he's so terrifying that he's the one, in addition to Dick Warlock's the shape in Halloween Two, that I'm going to run away from the most, just because this score also really underscores that. I just think that there's that, that idea that at this point in the franchise, they have totally assumed the sense that he is this fucking thing that is being controlled by what rune stones or, you know, celestial, you know, you know, uh, what is What do they call it in stars? I guess, but Uh, um, constellations or astrology. Yeah. Constellations and, you know, the druids, yada, yada, yada. But, this score really gets at that where it's just like he's around you well you're fucked and but i think a little it, it gets a little it takes what i think is a beautiful movie and kind of makes it feel ugly and jagged kind of like the smith's grove uh employee entrance <laughs> so <laughs> i just so for me it's just a little too abrasive at times but i don't know he, he tried something i gotta give him a kudos to that but yeah, I mean, it do, it does have a signature for sure. Uh, going in ascending order, Mac, I think you were next for this one. So yeah, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I like this score. I, I This is, for me, it's a little special because this was the first one I got to see in theaters. I remember not not really being put off by the electric guitar when it came in, but it does remind me of like those scores where they use that. You know, like I'm thinking of like John Williams and uh Attack of the Clones, right? <laughs> when Anakin jumps off, the, when Anakin's jump, when they're on the, the chase after the bounty hunter, and you hear that electric car, it's like, wait, really? Like, I never in. noticed and that. I have to watch so that. It's so funny. <laughs> but I, I, I it, it maybe threw me off a little bit because I was just like, well, they're ushering it into a new era, you know? <laughs> you have to do something, right, to change it up. But I think that what the what Halloween Six and the score had going for it was that it. It was coming off of five, which I didn't think was very good. And I'd probably seen a ton at that point. Um, so I think I was just more apt to like it. And I do think, you know, I was listening to the score and then some of the the opening sequences and, and when the music first kicks in, you know, and it's like Jamie's like escaping essentially or whatever. Oh, yeah, um, where we first hear the Halloween I, theme when she runs up the yeah, stairs. Yeah, I just remember great. that to me was like the, when I first saw like four and after coming off of three. And like when that music kicks in, when they're bringing the ambulance, uh, when they're bringing him to the ambulance in the rain, I was just kind of like, yes. And so I think I was just kind of a little bit more in from the beginning, from the get go with six. And I was a little bit more forgiving, I guess, if anything. But uh, that movie just holds a special place in my heart. So it's hard for me to to see it as anything else but yeah that's it's funny because i feel like with all these scores we're talking about oh when's the first time in the movie you hear the halloween theme right because it should be this kind of fist pumping moment regardless of how good the movie is uh blake you had you had this one uh pretty high and uh yeah we obviously talked about howarth a lot with you but um yeah why why is six uh number uh what were we on number five for you 
Well, uh, because I am an aging uh, rocker sorry, <laughs> <laughs> who plays guitar. So am I, to be fair. I mean, fair. I guess I'm we all are, technically, it. right? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for cheesy guitar, and I, I think it's a lot of fun. And not just the way, not just the guitar, but I think, like, the rock drums behind it. I'm into it. And, uh, you know, I don't think... There's definitely stuff about the other Howarth scores that I like. You know, there's things that I like better than some of the stuff in this score. Uh, but it's also, you know, you have to keep in mind that, uh, you know, we're going with the theatrical cut and Alan almost entirely rescored the movie. Kind yeah, of that's true. To, to do this cut because he had already scored the movie for what's known as the producer's cut now. And uh, I also wrote liner notes for a Halloween 6 release two years ago. So when that will eventually come out, I don't know. Man, I've been waiting forever. Oh, it's not for out that. yet? Yeah. Is, Ooh, is, ready. That, is ready. it supposed to be on Death Waltz or, or Waxworks or can you not say or do you not know? Uh, I, yeah, it's Death Waltz. I don't know why they didn't leave a slot open for it in that box that they put out. But sure. uh, That is weird because I feel like they've done, I mean, yeah, they've done kind of all of them at this point, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, up till up to five yeah to, and, yeah, uh, yeah yeah and now you know six i i literally they just released the jason versus freddie which i wrote those liner notes around the same time so that was like oh that was actually it's probably over two years now that i wrote all that stuff but uh and there's also a cue on six called thorn ruins that to me is the most carpenter cue out of all of them uh, and he didn't even do it. <laughs> so, uh, Wait, which, which cue is that in, in the movie? It's it sounds so much like Morricone's thing theme, mm. uh. and also a bit like uh, the stuff that uh, Carpenter and Howard did for Prince of Darkness, which is right around you know, like They Live is the last film I think he does with Carpenter, and that's like eighty eight. So he takes on doing Halloween after that, and I wonder. If that's why that was the last film he did with yeah, Carpenter, yeah, that's, that's that's interesting. I never thought about that. Um, mm. He says that Carpenter gave you know gave him his blessing to do it, but then all of a sudden he's not working with Carpenter anymore. So there's just things I like about it, and I just think I think it's a fun listen. And whereas in other lists and other discussions, I probably would have ranked like how it works within the film more. Uh, for this, I felt like I'm going to put a little more. Uh, emphasis on what i like what i like to listen to and this and i just i think this is a this is a fun listen for me yeah i agree and, and like i said too i think when as we're getting you know we're getting kind of into the upper definitely in the upper half of this list but sort of the uh, upper echelon for me it's like they're all they're all good and in, in fun at this point and i i like that we're talking about howard a lot too because arguably yeah i know john carpenter created the halloween theme and everything but in terms of how many movies how many halloween movies they've worked on at this point howard has him beat i think right he might by the, i don't know if it's now or ends but uh you know up, other than maybe mustafa Akkad, uh howarth has worked on more halloween movies than anybody so mm-hmm. you know in a way he you know he's he's very much a part of this series even more so than a lot of other people yeah no totally um 
yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm going to go back and, uh, and listen to all these maybe afterwards. Maybe I'll do a new ranking uh, and we'll, we'll have to do another episode. Run out of, of Patreon, Patreon ideas. <laughs> all right. So um, let's see. So we just did six. All right. So my number four uh, would be that in theaters on Peacock now, Halloween Kills. Go listen to the soundtrack. You can listen to the soundtrack on Spotify also. Halloween Kills. Uh, Mac, what is your number number four choice? My number four is Halloween four. Ding ding ding! Oh. Yeah, you're doing a little pattern here, aren't you? With uh, oh. <laughs> so six and four. Why don't you kick us off? I mean, once again, we're in we're in the cream of the crop now. Why is four uh, high for so high for you? Again, you know, for me, it was just. I think what it really comes down to for this list for me is just the reverence in which I hold the films. There's only one deviation from that, and that is that four used to be my number three. Now it's number four. So, is it Halloween Kills? Well, and and I'll I'll get into it later. Now I already mentioned Halloween Kills. Yeah, I just I like the deviations. I like the how how this thing grows. I think there's there's a lot of cues in this and incidental music that I remember just just like I remember almost all of the incidental music and things from the first Halloween. And I really and maybe it's just because I've seen these these few the most, you know. But uh, yeah, I I. It's just the score that score sticks with me more than than some of these other ones. I mean, it's just that simple. Yeah. Yeah. For it, it's funny because I think it uses the classic Halloween motifs really well too, in a way that both feels fresh, but also isn't completely rewriting the book. But what I love mm-hmm. for real, when I think about this movie, it's that opening sequence with the yeah. with where they're showing all the rest of like Illinois farmland. I mean, it's so, so creepy, good. it's so yeah. mood setting. I like how that's the first thing we hear, and then we don't hear the actual theme till the ambulance. And it could have been. Yeah, it could have easily. They could have been like, "Where's the Halloween score?" Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's how the all the, the first two movies started. Like, why not do that essentially? But I guess you yeah. know those also have that cold open, which you, people forget about. Yeah, no, that's true. And like, it's just just that drone is like it's something new we haven't heard before. I feel like in the Halloween movies, it just it really creeps me out. I wanted to so bad go to the Halloween Four haunted house at, at Halloween Horror Nights because they actually in the line queue they actually show some of that too. You get to see mm-hmm. like the pumpkins and the tractors. I did go Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando, and I I didn't realize until I got there that's only in Hollywood. But um, but a large part of why that like, is scary to me is because of just that drone kind of wind effect too. It's really yeah. creepy. Hey, we're gonna say Mac, and I, well, I just say I think that the opening of that movie is kind of it's a little disarming. You 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 almost are like, am I watching a Halloween movie? You know. So when that music does kick in when they're transferring him, you're just like you feel all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm watching Halloween. I'm safe. These guys know how to use this music. Like I'm ready, you know. So it's it just funny because it's not like new people doing it, but um, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's very. I mean, it's a very reassuring movie in many ways. I mean, I know we all love three now, right? But back then, I think it was kind of this, you know, heralding the the literal <laughs> return of Michael Myers. Yeah, Mike, what yeah, are you gonna say? Yeah, because it does lull you in. You know, like it pulls you into the the town of Haddonfield, and in a way that you know we haven't really ever been before. Because when you think about you know, the Haddonfield of Halloween one and two, it's like six or seven streets in Pasadena and Los Angeles. So like to go into like the actual farmlands of Illinois, which would be the small town that we would know. It's a, it's a definite distinction from, you know, the Halloween that we knew before and what we are going to get in the next three movies, you know, cause they're all in Salt Lake. I love this score. I, I just revisiting, I just was kind of astounded by the, the cautious minimalism 
that uh, Howarth employs here, kind of in a way that Carpenter's was, you know, 10 years prior with the original. Um, I think it really captures the abandonment and isolation that you feel throughout the film, whether it's, you know, Rachel and Jamie being alone in the streets or, you know, the whole team inside the Meeker house. I think there is some really awesome sustained whistles and keys in here, especially the way that he integrates the Myers house theme uh, all throughout. It almost feels like the Myers house theme is uh, Jamie's theme in a weird way. And I love that. Yeah. I think the key word for me is just atmosphere. I mean, it's, it's definitely of its time just because look, this is 88. It's, you know, a few years after, like I kept thinking of born in the USA by Springsteen. Like I felt like the keys are very similar. Like this, 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 the synths are very similar here. But I love it. I mean, there's there's the little parts where he gets kind of, especially when it's like, like it gets a little hallmarky at times. But like I really fucking dig it. Still, it's just I don't know. It's it's a it's one of the we talked about re-listenable scores. This is something certainly one that I I like to have in the background. That's actually kind of soothing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It feels like uh, of the later Halloween movies, Halloween movies also I think the most autumnal. Uh, Blake, what about you? So you know we're on the Howarth train, and you act, you had this behind six and five. So for you, is this a matter of you really felt like he came into his own on five with this stuff? Um, or yeah. Is it, yeah. I mean, really, the all three of them I could have put in any kind of order. I just kind of had to choose an order, and I went with an order that. Like he's tr- truest to the to Carpenter stuff in four, and uh, at, at this at, when I made this list, I was more excited about him kind of branching out and and uh, you know being a gearhead and just seeing how far he could pull push <laughs> the synthesizers he had at that time. You know, everybody loves the opening to four. Everybody kind of points to that as the reason why they love this score. Uh, this is Alan's favorite score of the ones he did for Halloween. Nice. This is another one that I wrote the liner notes for as well. And, uh, and I like, I do, I like it. I mean, I, it like six there, there is at times some more kind of like rockish drums in this one, which is cool. But yeah, I mean, the only reason why I kind of put it lower is just, you know, I have this weird, I'm contradictory in that. Like, I don't want it to go too far away from the Carpenter scores, but I also don't want it to stay too close either. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's and, and and yeah, at least I mean we're all fans of this franchise and fans of these scores. So it's you know on any given day of the week, it, it, some of these rankings might be different. All right, we got a few more to get through on here. So we I believe are on Mike. What was your number four choice, Mike? Hello Green, 2018's Halloween. All right, and Blake. This is probably the most controversial uh, choice out of all the original Halloween. 1970. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. The the it's funny because I feel like before going into this, we all go, "Oh, our top threes are all going to be the same," but that's not the case. Um, we're gonna have some interesting conversations uh, as we as we finish all this off. All right, so we're on to number three choices now. My number three is Halloween two, 1981. Mac, my number three is Halloween three. <laughs> that's just season, how your season season of of the old witch. <laughs> that that was just your criteria for how you chose these. You're gonna do numbers uh, <laughs> whatever I can. Uh... Mike, what is your number three choice uh, i guess it's kind of a controversial pick too number three is halloween 1978 all right yeah we're uh, we're not gonna talk about that for a little bit but yeah i want to hear what you and blake have to say i want to hear what me and mac have to say too but uh but you guys have the hotter takes here. <laughs> you don't want to hear me <laughs> uh blake what was your number three choice uh number three was halloween 2018 
And my number two is Halloween 2018, which means it is time to talk about it. Uh, let's, Mike, why don't you kick this one off? Um, and of course, now we're getting into the return of Carpenter after a while, but also accompanied by uh, Daniel Davies, the son of a son of a kink, and then Cody Carpenter, who's the son of a carpenter. So yeah, Mike, what is your... Because you, you are not the biggest 2018 fan, but I uh, love the music for it. Love the score. Uh, I mean, John Carpenter is my favorite artist, and I... I I mean, I'm in his 0.05% uh, fandom on uh, on Spotify, which I, I wear with a badge <laughs> of honor right next to my Haddonfield Huskers uh, age. But uh, I mean, out of all the things that to say about that that movie, I mean, you, I really just think the score is just phenomenal. I mean, it's it's ferocious, it's muscular, it's triumphant, as he titles the last track, uh, you know, on the, the soundtrack. Um, I feel like this was kind of his big return and you really felt it. I think this also arrived at a time when like Carpenter is just really grooving into this this interesting career for himself. I've always felt that Carpenter really wanted to be a rock star and he kind of feels it in this era. You know, you watch those shows when he did, uh, you know, like the Lost Themes show and also when he was doing like the anthology release and stuff at... He's all in. I mean, if he fucking played Primavera, like that's a huge deal. And so, like, you know, he's getting to be this this musician in a way that he never really got to be before. And so I think there's a kind of swagger to it. So I think by the time he gets to Halloween, it he kind of, you know, ble- leans into that a little bit. Like when I when I interviewed him for because we didn't name him the composer of the year in my previous site that I used to work for. Um and uh, and I talked to him about it. I was like, you know, this last track, Halloween Triumphant, you could play this at like, you know, like EDM festivals. And I imagine people are going to go nuts. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, people love dancing to it. I think it's it's fucking it's crazy. Yeah, I heard like, from from people who are at Primavera, <laughs> no joke, that they played it and people were like, like raving to it. Is that, that, is that true? Yeah, I mean, I think that's well, I was true. watching the live feed in the office for it. And like, I just remember being like, yeah, he's killing it. Like, he's really owning it. And I just... I don't know. I, I think that 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 sort of you feel it in a way. It's just fun seeing like in, in terms of all the returning faces in Halloween 2018, it was Carpenter, the one that made me smile the most because it was just like, first off, I never thought this would ever happen. And then, well, it, which is, yeah, especially at that capacity of, of like doing like the actual com- compositions and stuff. And for him to come back, I feel like he he gave it in a way that was beyond just getting a check and, and walking away with which we always joke about, you know? So, Oh yeah, no, 100%. When, and it's funny too, because even though this isn't no, like number, you know, like number one for me, um, but it's number two, I, I feel like this is actually the Halloween soundtrack that I listened to the most as an album, like not even thinking about what happened in the movie. And I think that's because yeah, it has the familiar themes we can you know latch onto with some beefed up instrumentation, but it also has some new themes for me that actually are becoming just as prevalent. I, I, and maybe it's just, being so stoked to see Halloween in theaters, but I still remember the universal logo showing and just that kind of wind can thing, the that to me just puts me in the mood and creeps me out. One of my favorite tracks, I mean, you mentioned Halloween triumphant, but also the, the grind, which is where they're below the, the fake counter and Michael's trying to rip it off. And it's not a sound effect, but they're kind of syncing up the music cue with him ripping this kitchen Island off of its axle. And it's just this, and it keeps crescendoing like, and I, it's such, it's just such a good marriage of, of sound and image for me. And I, I keep coming back to it in a way that I feel like is actually totally separate from the 1978 original who had this one next. Yeah. Mac, what, what was this? Wait, where was this Blake? No, Blake, Blake had it next. I think, uh, uh, down the list. Well, well, yes, yeah, we talked a lot about Howard, but what are your feelings about Carpenter and his new uh, musical collaborators from the past few years? 
Well, I, I really like it. I mean, I think uh, it's very listenable. Uh, I think it's it's obviously, like Mike was saying, it's exciting that he came back to do it. I think the addition to of Cody and Daniel uh, are great because I think they are able to fill in blanks. I mean, let's face it, John is a he's a limited musician and he would be the first one and has been the first, <laughs> the first one to admit it in interviews as he, you know, he's an, as I, you know, I talked to him for my first book before the introduction of the idea that even lost themes was coming out. And then I interviewed him again because the book wasn't out yet by the time it came out. And I just think they're, I just think it's a great kind of musical marriage, the three of them, because I think Cody's a really talented keyboard player and when you listen to a cue like the shape Hans Allison like there's no way Carpenter even wrote that cue I mean that's like all Cody and that's become one of my favorite cues of the whole series and I love that like there's a different Laurie's theme in this movie that that, that yeah. sounds so creep show to me <laughs> that, that I kind of I just like that I like in this case I like that it's you know you have all the familiar you have like the familiar themes but I also love that they're not precious with them that they branch out from them. <clears throat> I mean, unlike Mike, I I like uh, guitar, but in this in this instance, like I love more of like the weird slide, totally like yeah. meat that Daniel does more than you know playing note for note stuff. Uh, I just think it's really listenable, and I just think that it's it. And I I should preface this that like. The 2018 Halloween movie is like one of my least favorite Halloween movies. <laughs> <laughs> You're in good company. Whoa. You are in very good company. Yeah, yeah, like, not for me, not with me, not. but with these two. <laughs> I really, I really dislike that movie a lot. But it's a, it's got a great score in my opinion, and um, I'm just a big fan of it. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I, I forgot that we haven't heard your thoughts on Halloween, or I, I would love to hear your thoughts on Halloween Kills once we get to that one too. So um, we'll do that. So next on the list, Mac, you had this at, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, why do you hate this score so much, Mac? <laughs> I'm hey, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, um, it's funny because I really don't <laughs> like this movie. And I think because of that, I stayed, I really stayed away from the score and listening or re-listening to the score because for a long time, I just felt like it was putting a bad taste in my mouth. But revisiting it for to do this and also having just seen... Halloween kills and listening to that score, which I like as well. I kind of was, you know, I kind of got over that and was just kind of, okay, just listening to it as like spooky season music, essentially. Right. And I agree. I, 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 there are themes in there that are kind of playing with old themes, but it, it, it is branching off. I appreciate that time has passed. So it's kind of, I like that there's new stuff you know, that they're not just, just doing the old stuff. It could have just been that being a direct sequel, you know, and it is, it is very listenable. It is, it's just very, very chill. And, but also bringing on these two guys essentially to fill in the gaps, like Blake was saying it work, it, it makes what could feel dated does not because those guys usher it into this era, you know? So it's like bringing Carpenter who you still have that great, all that stuff you love and all those kinds of themes that you love from, you know, from him, from that, from the eighties or whatever, that still feels like that, but it's their way that they have uh, uh, written this, you know, and, and, and brought it, brought it into the present 
doesn't feel forced. It feels natural and it feels like a really solid score. I mean, I just, it's really nice to listen to. So that's why it's so high on my list. And, but I would never have thought that because I yeah, didn't like the movie at all. It does seem like people are, are, it feels like it is universally loved no matter if you like the movie or not. Yeah. Blake, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I mean, it's clear that he is more creatively collaborative with yeah. them than he is with anybody else he's worked with. Uh, and I think the scores he does, does with them benefits from that. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, Alan, in association with an Alan, gets more creative control as as the scores go on. Um, and, uh, you know, Dan Wyman, and then, you know, I would say Jim Lee. Uh, what's it, Jim Lee? What's the, what's the, I forget the guy's name it did in the mouth and... Uh, body bags i think that was a a much more similar situation whereas he is also much more of a collaborative uh artist with john on on those two scores but i just think it's interesting like i don't think you know think of carpenter and i think it would it would take like his son and like this kid that he considers his godson to be able to have him open up and allow that much creative control. And it's also that he didn't direct the movie too, I think has something to do with that. I just think there's something to the fact that he's probably not as precious with the score as he is with his other scores. And so the fact that you get like this triad of creativity happening, I think is uh, makes for just for a really interesting listen. And I think is one of the reasons why people are responding to it. Totally. Well, hey, it's like H2O says, blood is thicker than water. You know what I mean? Talking about that family (laughs) connection. There is one thing we should talk about, too. I think this probably would count as as score territory, even though it's somewhat of a song. Um, We get to hear the song that Lori, I think she, Jamie Lee Curtis, has made up in the first movie that I wish I had you all alone. We get to hear like a country version of that in the, in Halloween 2018. Um, and I think it's called close to me. They don't call it, they call it, I wish I had, we had you all alone. It's playing on the truck radio where uh, the bus gets run off the road and the, they go and investigate Michael escaping. Like one of the best scenes. Yeah. It's out so good. And I love the music there. And it also plays over the end credits. And that's by the heavy young heathens who are composers for, um, trailers and eastbound down which is probably how they knew you know dan mcbride and david Moore green righteous mm-hmm. gemstones lucifer so i mean it's weird because i mean it's a song they wrote it's a proper song like a like traditional country pop song but um i think they are composers as well yeah i, lo- I love that scene does the vinyl have that on it i don't know no i don't think so yeah um, maybe the deluxe for it. yeah i don't think it does either maybe because i, I remember like six different fucking editions of that vinyl. <laughs> <I> know, <that's laughs> just, it's, it's, there's so many it's insane I, I do like how that plays at the end after halloween triumphant then we hear michael breathing against super creepy all right so once again staying in the uh creme de la creme uh, territory mac what is your number two choice halloween two son of a bitch <laughs> yeah, i see what you're doing here now mike what is your number two choice uh halloween two mr sandman oh my god mr sandman bring me a bit of discourse Discussion. about the score <laughs> <laughs> where did i have this one i had this at number three and then blake you had the oh, blake I, you know let's start with you because you had this one pretty low on the list uh at least among yeah the Halloween fandom, I guess. So yeah, yeah, why is this so low for you? And this is Howard. Is this Howard's first collaboration with uh, John Carpenter? Uh, no, he worked on uh, Escape from New York before ah, this. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, how he describes the collaboration with this, as I'm sure, which is not how John would describe it, but according to Alan, allegedly, basically John was off doing like the thing, 
at this point. And he just said to Alan, you're going to do Halloween 2. And Alan took the tapes from Halloween 1 and then just kind of built on top of them. And according to Alan, John wasn't even there. He basically worked with Deborah Hill on it. And the stuff I find most interesting about it is the stuff that he kind of wrote on his own, which was to fill gaps that he didn't have uh, in the in the, in what John had already done for the first one, like The Shape Enters Laurie's Room. Oh, I love that track. But the reason why I kind of I rate it so low is because I just like the way the other stuff sounds, you know, in the original score. Like, for some reason, the synth stuff doesn't work for me. And sometimes it literally hurts my ears, like the pitches that he's using. The stings are pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> yeah, abrasive like, in this, yeah. yeah literally I have to turn that shit down because like, it literally hurts my ears. It gives me a headache sometimes. Uh, but that's not to say that I don't like the score. And there's a lot of style of the the kind of the the Halloween two theme, and like I said, I like the shape enders, Laurie's room, and I like a lot of the stuff. It just doesn't connect with me uh, the way most of the other scores we're talking about does. Uh, do, I should say, Mike. Yeah, you're you're giving some affirmative nods about the the very few pieces of original music that were in for this. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, the thing I love about this score so much is that thematically, I feel like it, it kind of marries the film really well. And that I, you know, we've talked a lot about how we feel like Michael Myers becomes the shape in Halloween too. You know, like it, even just the way he walks and the way he kind of um, you know presents himself, he's a little more stoic, as if there's like a certain life that's gone from him. And I feel like the the gothic undertone of you know and 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 also match with like the the pumpkin opening up into the skull in the beginning when you first hear this organ hit i don't know it, it just it really it's it's just really smart to me i feel like it, it kind of adds an element that that gives it a, a sort of distinction from the original one but also feels in line with the original one but as blake was talking about my favorite parts of this is just how dreamy it is you know, and I think that it, it kind of captures that post midnight, three a.m. dead hour feel, which is really what the second half of the movie is, especially when you get in with Laurie. You know, stuff like Mrs. Alves, the flats in the parking lot, the the reworked version of the Myers house, even and Michael's sister. Like, I there's there, it's tranquil and it's almost paralyzing. Um, you know, like I it kind of leaves me sitting there kind of like Michael in the scene when he's in the Smith's Grove, uh, you know, those dreamy moments. But I really love the score, and uh, that's why I put it at number two. So I, I should like, – I, I do want to say that, like, Halloween 2 is – like, I love Halloween 2 just as much as I love the first movie. So it's Same. right up there in terms of my of, among my favorite of the Halloween movies. It's just when you go back and you listen to all these scores kind of back-to-back, it just didn't kind of strike me the way the other ones do uh, this time around. Yeah, I, I do agree that it's it is abrasive though in part parts, that, which is kind of one of the reasons why I've always, I don't know, I, I guess maybe when it comes on, and I'm working, I'm like, all right, this is a little too much. But there are sections of it where I just find myself just almost like, yeah, like I, the hypnotic's the only word I can think of. It's it's weird. What was the? Uh, did we ever figure out what the piece of music was? I think it's one of the original compositions here. Justin was talking about it um, a few episodes mm-hmm. yeah. ago about when we. I think it's when we see Michael walking on the security camera. But I couldn't, I can't remember what it's called or, but it's, yeah, it's just some kind of little oh, drone not, thing that Alan did. Not the scene when that's being scored by Night Living Dead, but. No, yeah, yeah. the later I one. I, think, I know you're talking about, yeah, but, but I can't yeah. remember what it is. What? It's right after Marion tells uh, Loomis that he has to leave and that they have a, they have a sheriff or a state trooper outside. Yeah, and, and they go back and, and most of the, mm-hmm. uh, 
yeah, you know, most of the the hospital staff are dead and everything. Yeah, Mac, what what are your thoughts on Halloween 2's 1981 no, score? I love it. I I it, it's funny that you said that about him. It really, Howard just kind of building upon the first score, and maybe that's why I love it so much because it, it is. It's it's nice that it's it's the same night. You know, I mean, it's a it's a direct sequel, and so. To have it be very different would have been a little too jarring. And I, I kind of like that they build upon it. It's so funny, too, because when I think back to Halloween, really starting to get into horror, I think of Halloween, too. And I think it's because, you know, you watch all these these first films and you're like, okay, this is, you know, these, these are all great. But when you start watching the sequels and you start liking some of those, I think that was kind of like right, right when I realized, oh, I think I'm into this, you know? And it's that it's just that that theme and the uh, the take on um, shape stocks again. I just I like how that's punched up to eleven. <laughs> I do like, I do I do feel like yeah. Maybe if I was listening to this, you know, just doing dishes at home or something, it would I'd be like, all right, I gotta do I gotta I gotta do something else. You know, it's not it's not as maybe re-listenable in in the in the sense that some of these other scores are. But I think because it just reminds me of how much I loved this movie and these first two films that it's just kind of solidified its place in my heart. So yeah, if it's number two for me. Yeah. Same here. I think too, because I always think Justin always says that, you know, Howling two is like the, the old or the best slasher movie. And for me, I think the big difference between Howling two and Howling one, even though it has a lot of the same atmospherics is that it's ushering it into the eighties, right? It's ushering it into the era of slashers. And I feel like that the same way about the score. Yeah. It's mostly the carpenter cues, but the weird chintzy synth aesthetic is suddenly much more in line or in this case, ushering in what's to come with this next era of horror. And, and, you know, it just has that kind of hummability uh, for me because of the, because it's themes we've heard before. I think it's the only one I have on vinyl. Um, it's the one I, th- I think it's death waltz. Oh, it's the, the nurse, the nurse. Oh, it's so freaky yeah. where yeah, Michael Myers is, is dressed as a nurse. His eyes are out and he has the, the hypodermic. Did you, you, you didn't do the liner notes for that Blake? Did you hear? I did not know. Yeah, I need. I want to get some of the other the other Death Waltz ones. Yeah, and then I once again, I know it's not score. Mr. Sandman still one of the all time great. Shouldn't work, but does work. Uses a pop music in a horror film. I mean, I mean, just the definition of juxtaposition. That song just freaks me out at, at this point. All right, we are getting so close to the end of this list, but we have a few more movies to talk about. So, Blake, uh, what was your number two choice? Uh, for me, number two is Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. All right, and we are on to our uh, individual number ones now. My number one is Halloween 2007. Just kidding, Halloween 1978, of course. We already talked about 2007. <laughs> uh, Mac, what is your number one uh, Halloween My score? Number one, to no surprises, Halloween 1978. <laughs> All right, let, kick it off for us. What do you, I mean, what do we say about this even, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on. Laurie's theme, shape enters, fire yeah. sauce. I mean, it is the it's the it's the, it's the bedrock of the whole franchise. I mean, and, and, and in such a way that it's not just like we went. Oh, we we're doing Halloween, you know, in space. We've got to reprise the Halloween theme. No, like they reprise a lot of these other scores on this, and I think that that says something about this first uh, this first score. And it's just simple and. It doesn't even feel like it fits in this like late 70s film. Uh, and I think that also kind of creeps me out because it, it feels more like it, it's almost like a score that would have been, you know, little little Michael killing people when he was young mm-hmm. or something, you know, that would have been in movies or, th- or something. So it's just kind of, 
I, I'm, I'm going to jump on Mike's train, not hypnotic, but intoxicating. I really, it really transports me into this time, into this era, into this, the feeling of Halloween uh, in general. It's great. I, I just, I love it. It's just, it's in my bones. Yeah. It's, it's so, that's a really good point about, oh, it almost feels like progressive or something like not of the era. Because when you hear Blue Oyster Cult and then you hear John Carpenter's uh, Bowling Green Orchestra, which is just, you know, him, his friends having a garage band pretty much. When you hear that amongst all these, you know, all, the, all this otherworldly, almost like alien soundtrack stuff, it, it sounds like it's from a different era, even though it's not. And it is such a statement to come out like that. I mean, I think there's a reason, right? When I was, when I first saw this movie when I was 11, I was immediately scared because the first thing we hear in this movie is, you know, that theme against a black square. And right away I was like, oh my God, I'm terrified. This It just sucked me in. And like you, Mac, I think it's, it's it, it's almost hard to talk about at this point because I just feel like it's always been there for me. It's like the Beatles or something, right? Like you said, in your bones, I think that's a great way to describe it. It just feels so part of my being at this point that I feel I feel like to hate the scores, it would be like hating myself. <laughs> but, I thought you were gonna. I thought while you were talking, Dan, you were just gonna be slowly putting on the Myers mask. Just like I, <laughs> I slit my throat with a, a butcher. Like, he's neck. transcended. Yeah. He said, Let's go, yeah, the more I, the more I kill, the more the more I listen to Halloween nineteen seventy eight, the more I transcend. But stronger he gets. Yeah, and and it's I love the simplicity of it, and it's just every piece of music is effective, like right off the bat. And I don't think you'd meet many horror fans who would argue otherwise. Mike, what about you? Because I know, I know you love the score, obviously, but you did not have it at number one. You had it at number three. So uh, what are your thoughts? I don't. I mean, it's I mean, it's kind of, a, I guess, a contrarian take in the sense, but also just because I've, I've, I think it's just evolved over the years for me. Like, I mean, talk to me in 1995, 1996, 97. I mean, you could see literally in the post that I shared today on, on Instagram. I mean, I had every iteration of this score. I bought this on because I bought this on cassette. I bought this on CD. I bought the 20th anniversary CD. I've bought this on multiple times on vinyl. I love this score. Like it's 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 exceptional. I mean, it's the dam of the torpedoes of the Halloween <laughs> scores. If you think about it, it has all the hits. It's got the singularity. It's got the simplicity at hand. But I've I think a lot of it for me is I've heard it so many times and so many different iterations of it that it for me it's almost like i've moved on to other things within halloween that i've kind of gravitated towards in a way you know it just doesn't in terms of like where i'm at right now it's not my favorite you know but i mean if i'm being objective I'm, it's certainly it's probably the best for sure but it's not my favorite right now you know yeah and like i said i mean well you know when we're getting this high in the list it's like yeah, you can you can pick and choose. I mean, it's it's all greatness at this point. Uh, Blake, you were not far behind on Mike with your ranking. You chose this one as number four, which you said at the time. You well, know, it was a hot take, and even though it's four, it's high. It is a hot take indeed. So, uh, talk to us about Halloween, nineteen seventy-eight. Well, I don't think you know anybody can argue against the significance of it, whether it's for the series or or film music or horror in general. So, I mean, it's definitely not. My putting it there has nothing to do with like how influential it is. It just mostly has to go with that, you know, he did it in three days and it sounds like it, <laughs> you know, like it's it, it, the simplicity and everything that works so great about the movie just makes it not as exciting for me to listen to as a lot of the other stuff, you know, and, and you know, he's got like three or four fantastic themes but sometimes i would probably opt to listen to other versions of those themes and that's not to say that it, they don't work perfectly inside 
the movie, uh, like I said earlier, like for some reason with this list, I, I kind of erred on the side of, you know, what do I think is aesthetically pleasing to listen to uh, at this point in my life. And so that's the only reason why it's down so low. I mean, Laurie's theme and, you know, in terms of a compositionally, yeah, of course, this is the best one, <laughs> you know, because he wrote these themes for this movie and every other score with the exception of a couple of the ones that we kind of all have towards the bottom, you know, the, none of these other scores would exist without that. Lori's theme is both beautiful and kind of haunting yeah. and kind of intimidating at the same time. And, and, you know, Carpenter takes simplicity, you know, he's the master of it. And when I interviewed Claudio Simonetti for the book, he kind of pointed out like when, John Carpenter can hit one note and you know, it's John Carpenter, <laughs> you know, like that's all you need to know. It's John Carpenter. And if somebody else can play that same note, but it doesn't sound like John Carpenter. That's good. Uh, <laughs> and that, you know, look, it's great. Uh, that's just, uh, you know, it's just not as exciting at this point. Do you guys 40, think 50 years later, do you guys yeah. think that Laurie's theme has like almost caught up to the original Halloween theme as being equally as memorable? I feel, I feel like in so many conversations, I hear that talked about almost so I, just as much. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause when I talked to him, I was like, you know, are you ever going to do deep cuts when you're on tour? And, you know, cause there are a lot of tracks off of these albums that people love just as much as the actual theme himself. And he was just like, no, you know, it's not going to, no one wants to come for those. And I'm like, in my head, like, no, they do. Like people yeah, would lose their, does. like, yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, I mean, like go play stuff off of Halloween three, go play like, you know, chariots of pumpkins, like, you know, go do these things. Like, and especially Lori's theme. Like I agree, Dan, I think it is just as synonymous. Like, and I would also kind of throw in the Myers house too. I mean, it's like, when you think about this, the, the track that has had the most life in the franchise it's it's the Myers house. Like it's it's right after the Halloween theme. Like they've used the Myers house and Pronum I mean Howarth has especially in like four and five and stuff that it's right there. And um I don't know. It's I, I feel like those tracks have just become this synonymous. That's why I mentioned the, the Dan the Torpedoes thing. Cause like I feel like the they're all the singles are on this album. Right? <laughs> I'm just you imagining know? him playing Premier Sound. Like comes out for the encore and does Laurie's theme, but you know it's slower, so everyone everyone's just doing like weird hippie dancing to it or something. Like <laughs> <laughs> they can't they can't uh, dance dance to it, but they they still get into it. Well, for me, my, my least my least favorite part about the you know the his live show is that he kind of just plays a lot of the stuff straight and yeah, uh, you know how much more exciting would it have been when he played Halloween to do like a sweet Halloween? Exactly. Oh, that cues. would be cool. Yeah, like you know, an for overture me, the most the most exciting stuff is either the lost theme stuff, which is new and meant mm -hmm. to be outside of a film. And then when he, they veer off like the Christine theme, which they make, they make it yeah. its own thing Love for a band and it works the best. But yeah, I would have loved, I feel like they do a little bit of the medley type sweet stuff a little bit with the fog more than any of the yeah. other cues, but I would have loved for to have, they don't have to be their own, performance but to have work some kind work these all these halloween cues into one track or one song would have been awesome because i always thought like even when you listen to like escape from new york like I, I look i love that theme it's great it's great uh great theme when you're having a smoke outside a bar by the way um but i i want to hear him jam on what is it the, the duke theme where it's like dun, 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 and it's just like them just riffing for like a good four or five minutes or something like that it's a fucking great track 
I'm like, and that would kill live. Like that would just, just uh, it would just let him go nuts. But I don't know. I don't think he he probably won't. <laughs> just, yeah. It's too much, too yeah, hard, exactly. too much work. <laughs> he, he does what he wants. All right, we got two more movies to talk about. Um, which will they be? Well, we know what they'll be, but in which order will they be in? Uh, Mike, what is your number one favorite Halloween score? Uh, Halloween three, season of the witch. What a surprise! Huh? <laughs> ding ding ding! Uh, oh man, Matt. All right. Mike, you say first, then Mac's shaking his head. So I want to, I want to, Mike, you go, and then Mac, you, uh, you spar with him. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what can I say? For me, it's it, this is my favorite era of Carpenter. I mean, it's it's a it's a kind of a prelude to the Christine score, and you could hear a lot of early echoes of it um, throughout this this score for sure. You know, I think this is probably my favorite marriage of him and Han Howarth. Like, I, I just think the the tranquilizing minimalism throughout of it is just so fucking awesome and it kind of feels ex- extensions almost like what they did in the thing too i i just love everything about this score and it, and you know blake and i were talking just now with regards to the original halloween score of just like where we are at and like you know what we want to listen to these days more often than the others and that's what it is for me it's like i'm finding more joy in this one because i you know i think for years i kind of you know, I always loved Halloween three. I never had a problem with season of the witch. I, and in fact, I, I really liked it when I first watched it, but I've really loved it now because I, I really do wish that the franchise would have taken that route. And I've talked about that ad nauseum on this podcast. Um, yeah. but I, I think that this feels like a late night jam session. And I think what we were just discussing about with like him live, like, I think you get that with, you know, listen to chariots of pumpkins. Like it just sounds like they're riffing in the middle of it. And it's so fucking cool. And you know, for a film that is so much an aesthetic piece, I feel like a wide swath of that legwork comes from this effort. And I don't know, I maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like Carpenter and Howard spent a little more time on this than anything else in the Halloween series together. I don't know. It just feels it feels like there's a lot of inventiveness to this, maybe because they were kind of trying to find a way to, you know, rework the franchise. But I don't know. I love it. Love it. Mac, what about you? Because you were shaking your head, but you had this number no, three. I was joking so around. I, I <laughs> not not really shaking my head. I just knew that that was going to be my yeah. number one. Um, but it's funny because, like I said, this used to be my number four, and now it's my number three because of the. It's just kind of no, I, I, I you know, these scores for my life a lot when I'm writing or doing, you know, things uh, for the pot or whatever, or just especially now, um, you know, like the, the Halloween three and the fog soundtrack are just on loop, you know, like just doing normal things just cause I want to feel in the spirit of the, of the season. Um, but yeah, so the, for me, this, this has just become so, so entrenched and atmospheric. Uh, I, it, it's usurped number four um or i just i'm basically echoing mike in the sense that it does sound like there's just a lot of time that's been spent on this essentially one-off film um and maybe we're wrong maybe they maybe they did this in four days <laughs> i don't know but uh yeah it's it's just kind of slowly creeped in there kind of like the prince of darkness score for mm-hmm. me i, I like yeah. that score a lot too oh, yeah oh, the prince but, of darkness uh, those, they just keep they keep going up every time i, I listen I, to them and i had this it doesn't if, have anything to do with the movie i mean i like i like you know i like season of the witch but uh it's i wouldn't say it's up it, it I, I would not say it was my number three favorite halloween movie but um uh score right now it is i had this at number five and i too like the score a lot but i know this is so silly I feel like the happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween just erases any (laughs) 
tunability of it in my head. Like I love the score, but I can never remember what any, any of the themes sound like because the, the, that jingle they have, it just like overtakes it for me. So that's the only reason mine's number five is still like the aesthetic. I love Howarth and Carpenter. I like that. It's not, it's the only score in this list that doesn't use the Halloween theme. If you don't count the, uh, I mean, I guess they, they, you see a clip of Halloween in the movie, but you don't hear the, the actual Halloween theme. So that's why it's it's that low for me. But uh, w- what about you, Blake? I think you had this, you had this number two. So I'm guessing it's a favorite of yours as well. Yeah. And, you know, that had to do with kind of, you know, obviously always liking it, but, you know, revisiting them now, listening to them kind of back to back and just think, finding it to be like uh, just a really exciting thing to listen to. And Alan talks about it. He says, uh, you know, John came over to his house and was and said, "All right, what are we going to do?" Uh, and Alan said, put on whatever the most current Tangerine Dream record was, and they listened to it. And John said, "Okay, yeah, we can do this." <laughs> like he just realized that, like what he what he and Alan did wasn't that far off from like kind of the zeitgeist of synth music at that time. So he said, "Okay, we'll just do us." And I think he they probably did spend more time on it. If for no other reason that he didn't direct the movie, you know, so he probably was able, was able to get in on it a little bit sooner. I think, you know, uh, Alan's equipment is starting to, you know, he's building on it with every picture. And I think we start to hear some really cool sounds that we now associate, you know, with the Carpenter sound. Like Mike said, we have stuff that's around the time of Christine, which is one of my favorite of his scores. So it has a lot of those sounds. I also just think it's really listenable. I think a lo- not in the sense of some of the other examples that I've given, but in terms of, you know, like chariots of pumpkins is like, it's a song, you know, yeah. it doesn't, you can, it's not compositionally. It doesn't seem like it's as married to picture as some of the other stuff. You know, it sounds, it seems, sound, it seems like there's a beginning and a middle and end to some of those things. So for me, the synth sounds, the fact that they managed to not do a Halloween score, but have something that's not too far away, it's kind of like a different dialect of the same language uh, for me. You know, it's, it's, it's Halloween esque, but it's not the Halloween score. I just think it's a really exciting score. And I think that they probably had the most fun doing that score together out of all the scores they did together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think think you, I think you can hear it. Mm -hmm. It's the most free from constraints. And, you know, I think pretty much everyone's coming around, coming, come around to loving Halloween three at this point, but we do forget what a bold move it was just as a movie at that time, let alone playing with this iconic score and then not at all addressing the iconic score. I think it's interesting that you brought up Prince of Darkness because both these films are, like Carpenter's homage to Quatermass and the pit. Like (laughs) he even had the Quatermass writer wrote the original script for Halloween three. So I think it's interesting that the, you know, that they both are coming from a, both films are coming from a similar uh, influence, I think. And, And I think even though those scores don't necessarily sound alike, I, you know, I too, I Prince of darkness is one of my favorite scores of his. Um, I just thought that was an interesting kind of thing to bring up. When it comes to Halloween scores, your number one is uh, is something very interesting. Uh, not not interesting because it's bad at all, but just it's a 
I, I, a, I want to hear your opinion on this movie and then also on the score, of course. And uh, so what is your number one, Blake? Uh, my number one was Halloween Kills. So f- before we jump into the music, what, what are your thoughts on Halloween Kills as a movie? Uh, well, I disliked Halloween 2018 so much that uh, I, I liked this one more. Low <laughs> uh, <No> bar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I didn't love it, but I didn't. Maybe it's just because my expectations, like when they announced, when I saw Halloween 2018 and then they said that they're giving those guys two memories, I was like, oh shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't want to live in these guys' this version yeah. of Halloween for, for another few years and another two versions of the movie when you could give it to somebody else and we could get, you know, hey, at least have potential for something better. But with that said, you know, I appreciate that there was some kind of ambition behind it. You know, I I I I don't feel like they really were trying to do anything with the with the first one. Uh, you know, it's just it's a lot of just a waste of time and wasted space. And I just appreciated that it at least was tried to do something. Whether I liked what it was trying to do or not, or whether I thought they accomplished it, was kind of besides the point as to whether I liked it or not. I just liked it better. What I like about the score is that it has everything I like about 2018, but kind of ramped up a little bit. You know, they they bring back the Shape Hunts Allison cue in a cue called Payback, but it's it's a lot more ballsy. There's just, I feel like they step away from the Halloween score even more so in this one. Uh, and you get things like... Uh, Gather the Mob, which sounds like it could have been on one of those Lost Theme albums, <laughs> which I like those yeah. albums. So I was into it. I was into like the weird logos kill, you know, cue in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I, love that title. Was, I think I think the choral stuff is kind of cheesy uh, for the Halloween cue theme, but uh, I also appreciate that it's just not the same thing again. Um, and then you get like the sentimental piano stuff that I'm sure is much more coming from Cody's sensibilities than John's. Uh, and kind of what I like about Halloween 3 is I think in this one, even more than 2018, I think the cues, for the most part, generally speaking, kind of stand on their own as instrumental pieces of music and not so much like they have beginning, middles and ends. And they sound like a more of a song to me, an instrumental song than something that's necessarily tied to an action and then just stops abruptly. Even you know, even Carpenter lived. <laughs> he just plays till it's done. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's there's no ending added on to it. And you know, it's probably the only reason why it's probably higher on this list than all my other stuff is because probably realistically, just because it's the newest mm-hmm. and it's the one that uh, is freshest for me and the one I've been listening to more often. Yeah, recently feels like it has the most mystery to it still, and the you know the most things to to uncover, I think, which makes it exciting. Um, yeah, I had this in number four for you know all the reasons you listed. And I I like that in many ways it's louder than the first soundtrack, but then quieter in certain parts. Like the Halloween theme in this one's actually a little bit a little bit more subdued. Um it has the choirs with it, but it, it has it feels more traditionally piano. Yeah, you know, and I'm not at the point yet where I was with the 2018 soundtrack where I'm really re- remembering these as their own themes independently of the movie. I feel like when I hear them I still just associate it with whatever you know, gruesome kill scene is going on in the film. That being said, though, I could see myself in a few years, like the, this climbing even more in the rankings for me. Cause I, I still really did love it. Um, I think next, uh, who, who had it next highly ranked? I think Mike did. You had it at number, 
number six, which, um, yeah, it's obviously lower than the 2018 score for you. Why is it worse than the 2018 score? <laughs> worse. Um, where I don't, or I mean, I know you still like it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think he gets the, the, the piano stuff gets a little weak sometimes when it just gets a little hallmark hallmarky. Like, I mean, I've used that adjective a couple of times already tonight, but there are parts where we talked about in the Halloween Kills episode. I, sh- I should say, if for anybody that ever listened to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, it's a known fact that I am genuinely a big fan of Hallmark movies. So, <laughs> so maybe that's why uh, I connect with this stuff. A little. It might be. I, I just think the in those moments, I'm he kind of takes away the pathos I felt with when he was evolving like Laurie's theme in the first one. You know, like when he goes quiet and plaintive uh, or meditative in the in, in 2018 like i'm really with them there and these i just feel like it's a little too maudlin but i think that's also because you know it's married to so many maudlin scenes like I, so i can't really fault carpenter it's like kind of like how i was talking about with howarth with howling five like i feel like you know he's put in this corner to make the movie that much more muscular because there's so much muscle in this movie upon rewatch I kind of was thinking like, man, all right, I'm kind of tired of hearing this. Like I need to, you know, I need a break. <laughs> Fucking, I have a headache right now. Um, so that's kind of where I was putting that. But he, like, it's a Carpenter score in a Halloween franchise. So it's got to be at least in the top 10 for me. Now, Mike, I'm going over my notes. Um, your last will and testament. You said you did want or you don't want them to play Frank and Laurie's theme. Oh yes, I do. Please, please <laughs> play it. Is that the the when they're all uh, sharing uh, anecdotes <laughs> in the, the hospital bed and we're getting these great, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. For, Look, this sake. is number seven on my list, and I got to say, I'm looking at my list now. I think one through seven are actually really solid scores that I like to listen to a lot. A lot you know, uh, I, I do think Hollow Green is really good, and I think that with Dan, I think the further I get away from this film. Well, maybe not with Dan, but the further I get away from this film, I think that I will probably revisit this score more because I do like a lot of the pieces in this. There's one that, I don't know, it's called something else, but maybe it's Rampage, but I might be thinking of a different track, but I think it's Rampage. But there's just, there are some, uh, there's just some really like, fun stuff going on here and and i think also the, with the choirs uh uh with the main title and, and stuff like that it, it when i was listening to it i was kind of just like okay if i'm just listening to this as a john carpenter score it does kind of sound like prince of darknessy you know like or mouth in the mouth of madness and i'm and i kind of have become more fans of that as i've gotten older for some reason and so i kind of allowed myself to just listen to it on shuffle and really just not try to put the pieces together because I didn't really like the movie. And I think I was able to enjoy it a lot more. So I think the further I get away, it's possible it crawls up the list, but you know, it's right underneath Halloween six for me. And I just don't know if it's going to ever beat six, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Well, the other thing is because of the nature of the movie, we get to, he gets to revisit some of more. So some of those original Halloween sounds with the flashbacks and stuff, which I think is also fun about the score as a listen, because you get kind of a combination of this newer sound that he and Cody and Daniel have created, but you also get, um, you get to step back and hear kind of like the original uh, recordings as well in, in a sense. Yeah. We talked about that, how in the podcast on the, on the Halloween kills episode, how um, 
you know, even um, as Ellen and Kevin Hart like to say, the haters on this podcast, uh, who are my my co-hosts, um, they, no, but we all hey. talked about how, like, you know, seeing the, those flashbacks, maybe they weren't one hundred percent successful, but it was cool to go back to that world and, um, you know, along with the music that mm-hmm. comes with it. That's it, everyone. We we just ranked all the Halloween scores and then some. Um, yeah, Mike. Yeah, what else do you? Anything else we have to say? I mean, obviously we'll do plugs and all that, but yeah. So uh, Justin ran his Gerbalytics uh, earlier before this <laughs> call, so I do have a report coming in. So officially, based on the rankings that we've we've all provided, the real ranking when we go looking at is uh, so we got um, Halloween twenty seven, uh, Halloween two thousand seven, mm-hmm. Halloween Resurrection. Halloween to the Halloween 2, 2009. Halloween 5, 1989. Halloween H2O. Halloween 6. Halloween 4. Halloween Kills. Halloween 2018. Halloween 2. Halloween 3 at number 2, which I'm very proud of. And Halloween 1, 1978 at number 1. So there's the official ranking. We'll put it in uh, the Patreon. Well, actually, well, we won't do that in the Patreon thing because it's going to ruin the, the whole spoil spoiled fucking thing. No. But yeah, that's it. So thank you, Justin, for 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 doing some quantifying. But we will get that ranking tattooed. Yes, on our bodies. It's, it's official, <laughs> it's and it will not change. You know, there's a new Patreon level at which if you give us all each a thousand dollars, I'll I'll think about maybe tattooing it on my back. It's on my spine. I mean, it's a long it's a long list. I'm seeing you need you need, you need a spinal tattoo for it. Yeah, and we'll of course have to get. Justin and Mike Vanderbilt's rankings at, at some point. And of course, you know, you listeners, you Patreons, let us know on Twitter, social media, Discord, wherever, uh, what your rankings are. Uh, maybe, maybe you can pull all of your lists and all, and do a, a completely new ranking. Um, and hey, I'm sure we'll we'll have another score. Well, I know we'll have another score to talk about next year uh, with Halloween ends. Will that be the end of the Halloween franchise and its soundtracks? I think that yeah. was doing like the police, we'll do a whole like, new right. one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm excited about the soundtrack for sure. <laughs> it was, Hey, who knows? I mean, I liked Halloween kills a lot, but I mean, I know y'all didn't. So at least the bar is even lower than it was before to, to bounce back from. That you. is very, that is very true, Dan. <laughs> um, Blake, thank you so much for joining us again. And we love hearing your musical insights and just talking about the films and, and hearing your takes. Um, anything in the pipeline, anything you want to promote, any plugs you want to give? Well, uh, you know, both books, Score to Death and Score to Death 2 are available, uh, both in paperback and ebook. You can buy the paperbacks on Amazon from other book retailers or from me directly at scoretodeath.com. On social media, I'm at Score to Death. Um, I occasionally still do interviews on Score to Death podcast, uh, but uh, kind of my main gig right now is doing Score to Death radio over at the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, which is... Uh, more like I get to play DJ for an hour and I just play. That's fun. It's horror movie cues, but I was really hoping that I was going to not have to just play horror movie cues, but then he started <laughs> advertising it as another horror show. So we'll see. Maybe I'll get to bust out of the horror chains. It's hard, um, man. We're, we're like those directors, right? You know, it's like we, <laughs> we're the horror people. Yeah, we, we, we've been typecast. <laughs> Check out my liner notes on the, the recent Freddy versus Jason uh, soundtrack release from Death Waltz Mondo. And, uh, that's kind of all I got going on right now. Yeah, I, I had no idea you did the uh, liner notes for the the later Halloween sequels. Um, yeah, I had, I had the only one, the only Death Waltz one I have on vinyl is that uh, second one. I'll also try and get. Uh, you said you did four and five, right? For, uh, for I those? did four and five, and I did six, but I have no idea when that's which we have yet to yet to see. But hopefully it'll be soon. I'm sure it'll have incredible cover art for real. Um, 
I love I love the design of all those. Yeah. Um, Mike, we're back in Woodsboro uh, pretty soon, right? Yeah, I mean, it's your first uh, four-way, uh, really, in, into Woodsboro for you. So it's going to be exciting because you are going to be on screen four. So. Uh, emphasis, I was going to say, em- emphasis on the four. Uh, four yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, uh, I still have, screen four is the one I've seen the least. So I'm I'll, obviously I'll be revisiting it before the episode, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about it and go into that. And then, I mean, then screen five soon. I know it's gonna. It's it's kind of crazy how how soon it's coming up. I mean, we had that just chaotic week when Halloween Kills came out. It was like, all right, well, we got Halloween Kills, but let's go throw in Scream trailer as well for us. So we it was it was kind of a weird, confusing week that kind of sent us in a little detour when we were going on our way to Haddonfield. But it's gonna be here before we know it, and I feel like we got a lot of stuff in the lead up that's gonna be fun in the same way that we did the you know the halloween kill celebration here so um you know like we're doing more content than ever i feel like at halloweeny so um who the hell knows what's going to you know what we're going to be able to deliver for for scream coming up but um yeah all in on ghostface totally well and also too i think you know if we're to believe what the creators say the movie's hopefully probably going to be a lot different than the trailer and so I think a lot of what's going to dictate our content obviously will be what's in the movie. Yeah. You know, what, what Randy's Rex will there be? Um, what's the format going to be? How meta is it going to be? It'll, it'll be interesting. I really have no, I, I, I mean, I thought the trailer was fine. I, but I also am telling myself, don't try to, you know, play detective and expect too much. Cause I think, I hope it will subvert our expectations much like the first screen did. So we shall see patrons. Listeners, thank you as always for joining us, uh, for supporting us. It really does mean the world. It's been such a fun community. I mean, it's always a fun community to be a part of, but especially the past month, I feel like things have really lit up for everyone. It's been super fun talking to all of you on social media and hearing your thoughts on the pod and hearing your thoughts on Halloween Kills and seeing the the friendly arguments and all that good stuff. So (laughs) thank you again. I guess there's nothing else left to say except uh, our old sign-off. So I'll kick it off, and then someone says the next phrase, and someone says the next phrase. All right. Lock your doors. Bolt your window. Turn off the lights. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>